Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. Welcome in, everybody. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabriel Miller sitting here with Chris Goff. And Chris, this week, we've got a great interview lined up and we got some wrestling news and headlines to talk about. But first, how are you doing this week, Chris? Pretty good, Gabe. Pretty good. Um, let's see. I had to take the cat to the vet today. Um, you know, the weather sucks a little bit. But uh, the only bright spot in my week is obviously seeing your lovely face. And this week, it's talking about Magic Man, who we'll get into in a little bit. But you know, a lot of people might not know who my interview guest is this week, but by the end of it, you'll be sort of, um, I, you know, sort of like me, I was like shocked how intricate he has woven a wrestling career out of sort of nowhere. And uh, even like, and, and it's sort of a, a somewhat level of a Japanese wrestling star, at least in the late 90s. So we'll get to that. Amazing. Amazing. I can't wait to hear that interview. And so, Chris, let's talk about some of the latest and greatest headlines. You know, we've, you know, touched on the punk stuff and we touched on the AEW stuff. It's so weird. I was thinking about it. I was like, it seems like WWF isn't just really all that newsworthy lately Um, because, you know, it's just kind of running its course. You know, the sale with Endeavor is happening and things. I mean, mania season's over. Yeah. Sort of a down. It goes, you know, for it dips for a while anyway. Yeah. So, but what I wanted to talk about is the pre-sale is over, or the tickets are on sale now. Um, AEW has sold sixty thousand tickets to the Wembley Stadium show for a gross gate of seven point seven million dollars. Now, Chris, we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago. We knew that the numbers were going to be large, but I think this is well surpassing. I I would suspect. Even they even released tickets where they weren't planning on releasing tickets. I think this has even surpassed what uh, old Tony Khan is thinking. With that being said, is this a needle mover? This is what I've been thinking about. Is this a needle mover, a game changer for AEW in the states? Uh man, I, that's that's a difficult question. I, you know, my first reaction is no. Um, you know, this is this is a tried and true. Um, scenario that Vince McMahon did for many years. Uh, first of all, I will say, positively speaking, huge day for AEW. I mean, they're, they're putting on a huge show. Reminds me of just, I mean, not to this extent, but, you know, the first time when Cody and the Young Bucks sold out, you know, yeah. you can't sell 10,000 seats or whatever, and they did it easily. Um, but, you know, this is a try and true uh, business tactic in wrestling. When Vince was down in the in, you know, United States and North America, he goes across the pond, goes to England, goes to anywhere, Asia, England, and uh, they do extremely well. You know, WWE built their background uh, a lot in the 90s in, you know, international. I mean, when I was over there, so many people work in international television. You know, it's nothing new. Obviously, they've done it. TNA went into India. I mean, this is a uh, you can there's a lot of fertile ground outside the United States now. Does that matter? You want to be the star in the the, the first world country in a, of the world. You know, the, the biggest, most powerful country you want to be the star in. But, gosh, so many musicians, so many else like go across seas and make so much money, and you've never even heard of them. You know, so uh, I think this is a huge deal for AEW. But 
uh, it's because they've never been, you know, to, to London, you know, they've never had uh, a pay-per-view type event there. Um, you know, there's, you know, unlike America, they, they, they're starving for that level of professional wrestling to come over there. Now, WWE, of course, makes stops in there. They have pay-per-views in, in England, but, um, you know, it's the first time you're going to get to see AEW over there. And I can see why it would be a, a, a hot selling ticket over there. Uh, I don't really know if that has anything to do with, you know, Dynamite had one of its worst ratings ever last week. So I, is that really going to move the needle on, you know, American television viewing? I would don't really know why it would. But uh, but that's not to take away from what they're doing at Wembley Stadium. A terrific sale for them. It's continuing. Tony Khan should be very happy. And maybe this is going to show him that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, if, we're, if we can't hit the one million mark on television on TNT or TBS, <laughs> then maybe we can, you know, obviously start touring more, or doing more bigger shows over in, um, you know, around the rest of the world because it obviously works. Yeah, that, that's that's actually a really good point. Something I didn't even think about was this could change, you know, the business model. They hired Jeff Jarrett to do the live event coordination or whatever it is. And maybe this will open the door for them to be maybe more of a more of a live based touring brand. So that way, you know, they can uh, capitalize on some of the ticket sales. You know, the one the one thing I was thinking about, we were talking, we were doing some fantasy booking a couple of weeks ago when you we were talking about this. And now it seems more so than when we were talking about it. That punk is 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 back. Punk is back, you know, not in a, an official official capacity, but word is it's it's all but done, you know. So now we go into the thought process of you know, uh, it seems like a punk is going to work with Chris Jericho, um, maybe his first immediate program back. It, it seems like you know if you're going to do that, is that the right match to maybe headline or co-headline? a Wembley stadium thing, or if you're Tony Khan, are you all fire, all thrusters behind getting the elite in the ring with FTR and CM Punk really uh, providing the best possible show? Obviously you don't even need anything to be announced for this card. So, I mean, it's going to oh, be good point. Could, my, I thought you were going to go with, should they even bother with putting punk on the show because they've sold 60,000 without even naming a match. So like, what's the, you know, what's the point of throwing a huge match on there when you already have to take, we've already got their money, brother, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's a good uh, point. That's a good point. So I'm not saying give them a lackluster card. Cause you don't want to do that. Cause you of course would want to go back every time you go back to something like this, there's going to be diminishing returns. You're not going to go back every time to Wembley stadium every couple of months and sell 60,000 tickets. But for right. the first time, it's a huge deal. You know, it's, it, Promoting myself is always, you know, <clears throat> you get diminishing returns and you go back and back and back. But you do want to put on a good card. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, does Punk even need to return there? I mean, it's a huge moment, a huge uh, day for the company. So to have Punk return and have like a big newsworthy thing like that happening, as opposed to just throwing something together that they already have that's, you know, on the roster currently, you know, it, it would be a big moment for that. But you certainly, it's sort of like, I mean, this is sort of like a WrestleMania. You just sell it off the brand over there for the first time, not off uh, anything that they think they're going to see. So I don't know. I think you could argue either way, but I think, uh, yeah, it seems like Jericho uh, has it seemingly weaseled his way into having a program with Punk, which uh, I didn't ever think was going to happen the first time Punk went back based on, like we talked about, the uh, – the tw the secret text messages that had been subpoenaed in the whole Colt Cabana case that that Jericho was just burying CM Punk and talking all kinds of trash. So I didn't really think that that was ever going to happen. But 
seeing it's the way it is now, and obviously Punk has a desire to come back and not just sit on the sidelines and make more money. Uh, now he's healthy. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, like I've said to you before, Dave, I don't really, especially internationally, does everyone over there, even less so than here, do they understand the whole elite fight anyway? And, like, what would that match even consist of? You know, uh, I mean, yeah. the only one-on-one match we talked about would be Omega Punk, and that has, like, you know, they let sort of the fire die on that over the last eight months. So, you know, Jericho, Jericho Punk is a big match on paper. They don't need it to fill the stadium, but it would be a good PR thing for them to do to have it there. So, you know, maybe that's what they'll do. I, I'd really be curious how they would finish that one. I would assume it would be uh, a non-finish, but we'd see. Yeah, and, and and it's worth noting that they haven't decided or or announced. I'm sure they've decided whether this is going to be on pay per view, free TV. They haven't said one way or the other. So this is that's that's an interesting little uh, little note going into that show. Is is Tony going to maybe give it away for free on TV? Or I, I mean, I don't see that happening. Why not make more money and say, hey, this is the biggest show. A wrestling company has done outside of WWE and God knows how long you guys should pay the price to see it on uh, fight TV or whatever. But uh, that I think I, I truly believe Tony Khan, because he is kind of like a, a big kid playing with a lot of money, you know, playing Booker. I think he's going to throw like all of his cards on the table. I think, you know, some of the likely matches you're going to see is probably like, you know, probably FTR versus young bucks and some sort of stipulation match. Jericho uh, and Punk, and then you're probably going to see Omega and Osprey because he's a uh, you know from England. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a big Soraya match again, another English competitor. Um, I, I I think he's I think he's going to throw everything at this and and really try to make a, as as big of a splash if no for no other reason than to you know kind of say hey we're big players in the game. It's not just about tickets. I'm going to book you know, the best stack show from top to bottom. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Yes, again, t- you, there's two things about this. Huge day for them, huge, huge event. He should be happy as hell, Tony. Cox. Yeah, absolutely. The other side of it is, yeah, why would you give it for free on television? I mean, they obviously, if, you know, but that we've watched before, like if you have a big show on uh, Dynamite, the next week it's down again. So, like, get as much money as you can out of a pay-per-view because you've already obviously paid for everything at this point for that show and made a lot more money on top of it. So make people pay for it. Uh, have your typical dynamite because apparently, you know, the the Turner channels don't really necessarily have a bar that you need to hit to uh, make them happy, it seems like. So maybe, maybe they're very happy with what it's doing on there. I have no idea. So uh, I don't really understand what the point would be to give this away for free. Um I just, you know, but it's two separate items, though, you know, uh, and this isn't being negative. I, I don't have I don't have any, you know, I was fired by WWE, so it's not like I love them like to death. But I'm just saying AEW is uh, not doing well in America on American television. Uh, it, you know, it's it's mocked horrendously. So is WWE for a different reason. But um you know, this is uh, awesome for them on the international front. I don't think it's going to do anything in America. I don't think it's going to have anything to do with how it's perceived here. Uh, but it is a cool moment. So um, enjoy it while you can. And I think, like you said, I think you could take it to other countries and do this where people have never, you know, you've heard of it. If they went to India, if they went to 
Japan. Like they should, they could probably have huge shows there, you know, because it's a first time around the world, you know? Um, yeah. But, you know, is that going to, is that going to pay all the other bills? Probably not. This really means nothing. Uh, you know, what has Tony Khan really done to deserve accolades outside of booking Wembley? You know I mean? It's not like we're, not, we're talking about possible matches. Nothing's even been talked about. So it's not like you can argue like, well, he's turned a corner. He's really good. No, they, they have uh, ends with uh, Wembley stadium anyway, with their, you know, premier league stuff. So, I mean, they're, they're going to, they're using what they can to uh, to get a big show. There's I mean, there's nothing negative about that except no. if you think this is going to rub off everything else. I don't really know what the correlation is. And if anything, watching that, I'm going to watch it no matter what's on because of the size of the crowd. That's going to be an electric crowd. English British crowds are way way into it and i i think yeah. it's just going to be an electric atmosphere so as a booker a former promoter slash booker i would i would you know throw the kitchen sink at it but um you know it's surprising that the ratings are down for aew considering um you know they had the uh firm deletion match on on uh friday Chris. oh yeah i mean these these matches are um the things that they're booking on there i can see why they're selling 60 that now i Look, I their their show that was all on purpose, folks. That was all on sh- purpose. Their show is so um, it, it's frenetic and crazy. And yes, there's some possible, there's some entertainment value in that, as, as we've talked about. But it's just so illogical. Nothing, nothing is like you know. It's just so weird, man. You, you couldn't be more opposite in some ways. You got you got AEW, which is every week someone gets over and then they're not on TV for weeks or two. You know, like they never. They never like build on top of momentum with some wrestlers. But then on the other channel, you have the bloodline, which seemingly is going to go for the next 10 years. So it's just so just, you know, with no payoff because they're just going to keep just milking this as long as they can, which the old school guy I means like, that's that's great. That's how it should be. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, our people are already, you know, worried that, you know, that Cody's not going to get a big win anytime soon. And I'm like, well, you know you're still going to watch to see when he gets the big win. So yeah. sometimes I think we're tainted by the immediacy and all the people just like just taking a huge dump on stuff that doesn't happen immediately when they want it to. Uh, whereas in the past, if we, you know, 30 years ago, this would be looked at as like just another step in the long story that will finally get blown off at some point. But, you know, I, they're so, they're so different and uh, I, you know, there's flaws in both of them. The business model of WWE is obviously way better. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Chris. Well, we've filibustered enough, as I always say. So let's go ahead and uh, set up our interview with the magic man. Do you like that? Yeah. Magic. Magic. Uh, You know, in 2010 is when we started uh, Metro Pro Wrestling. So I'm going to guess magic man came 2010, 2011. And I met this guy. So there was a wrestler named Pete Madden who went by the human wrecking ball Pete Madden and he would come down he would drive down from Milwaukee <laughs> and uh to a Metro Pro show which at the time I thought was crazy but I love Pete Madden and he brought this guy in with him one time and he said hey this is the magic man uh I was thinking maybe he could be in my corner or something you know you don't have to pay him I just I did he just wanted to take a ride he's a friend of mine whatever this guy I see him and he's he's older at the time he's probably in his mid to high 40s he uh, um he's wearing leather boots a sort of a, a top hat. He has long hair, lots of facial hair, a singlet top, and like his pants were sort of Zubaz, like green and black striped vertically. I'm and, in. Uh, and I'm I, so in. I see this guy and I'm like, and he's like, he's, a, he's the magic man. He does magic tricks. 
and he was going to be sort of a nuisance sort of jerk on the side. And um, I had never heard of this guy, uh, but he looked like such a character. You're like, sure, you know, whatever. So um, meanwhile, like fast forward, he had been there a while. And I mean, he had all these things he wanted to do. He was going to do these tricks. He had rubber chickens involved. He rode a uh, motorized uh, little uh, it's like skateboard motorcycle thing into Turner Rec Center. He had a lot of like fun stuff he would do. Uh, but I really, and he would talk about his days in Japan and what he had done in Japanese wrestling. But in the late 90s, I got to be honest, and I'm still not a historian of Japanese wrestling to any large degree. So uh, it wasn't until Christopher Daniels uh, walked into Rob Schamberger, of course, WWE artist Rob Schamberger would have these after parties at Metro Pro. And Christopher Daniels, I'm going to tell a story like four times on the show, by the way. So anyone that, yes, this is going to be repeated. But uh, goes to the bathroom and Magic Man had given Rob Schamberger a a picture of him uh, that he had created and uh, gave it to Rob. He was like flying a kite with a key on it. And Rob said he said something to the effect of like, hey, look, I can I prove that I'm uh, related to Ben Franklin or whatever. It was some corny thing. Right. But it was in Rob's bathroom. And Christopher Daniels goes to the bathroom, comes out carrying the picture and says, oh, my gosh. You guys know Magic Man? <laughs> and, dude, and at that point, I was like, oh, I guess he is sort of a Japanese wrestling star. I had no idea. So um, anyway, uh, he is a elusive Magic Man. He, he, he changes habitats frequently. I don't know where he's at most of the time. But he popped up a couple weeks ago when Jerry Springer died because apparently he had some dealings with Jerry Springer. And uh, he had a comment about uh, Jerry passing away. And I immediately messaged him because I'm like, I haven't seen you in years, but I would like to uh, interview you because I wanted to hear all the stories about you know, his, his stardom in Japan. So uh, that's what this is. And there's several interesting things about uh, his career that could have gone differently if he would have gone to. I mean, he was Kevin Sullivan was going to give him a job in WCW. And he talked about that. Uh, he talks about. Wrestling with Onita and Great Sasuke and, I mean, Mr. Pogo. I mean, he has all these stories from these names that you've heard from Japan. And, of course, like Japanese fans will know exactly everything he's talking about. But even American fans would know these guys because they're the big names that came to America. So uh, Magic Man is, you will notice, and I apologize, uh, you cannot contain Magic Man. You just hope to, uh, you can't control him. You hope to contain him within like a, we go in like several million like tangents all the time. It's frenetic. It's crazy. It's the magic man. And uh, he's, a, he's a good dude and enjoy his stories. <laughs> so let, I'm sorry, Chris. I just, when you said the elusive, I, a magic man being elusive to get a hold of was just, I don't know, just tickled me. Like I just a picture, pictured him throwing a smoke bomb and be like, you can't find me. That's true. He's <laughs> hiding somewhere in the, in the, uh, the woods of Missouri right now. And, the, uh, the magic ether, Chris, the magic ether. All right, so let's get to the interview right now with the Magic Man right here on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory. Well, I am joined now by a man I met probably about 15 years ago, right at the beginning of Metro Pro Wrestling here in Kansas City as I was starting to promote that. And he came in one day, some guy in a top hat and uh, some uh, striped pants and uh, leather jacket walks in and Pete Madden says, hey, Chris, I'd like you to meet Magic Man. And there he was, Magic Man Jackson. Hey, Magic, I haven't talked to you since yesterday for years, and I saw you pop up the other day, and I wanted to talk to you because I find you to be incredibly interesting. 
Well, thank you very much, Chris. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And, uh, I, you know, it's been so long since I've talked to you. And I never really felt like because of all the, the wonderful times I had at Metro Pro Wrestling up there in Kansas City and all of the different jobs you have to do to keep the, something like that running, you were always so busy. I didn't ever want to, like, bother you. But I just dying to tell. It's like it ended so quickly. I, mean, I never had a chance to tell you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much <laughs> for introducing me up there and allowing me to be in your show with the greatest of. Uh, you know, it was a beautiful setup, wonderful crowd. The, the the enthusiastic crowds that you drew there just really helped me out so tremendously to be able to bring what I kind of try to do out to some other people. I mainly known in foreign lands i'd not really known all that much in the united states yeah is it interesting because and we want i want to talk all about how you're uh, a, a celebrity in japan and and people in japanese wrestling fans definitely know who you are especially if they followed it in the late 90s early 2000s and i i think it's always weird when someone's like that because there's you can think of multiple uh, people in wrestling who have a tremendous career in japanese wrestling but in america you could walk down the street anywhere in some wrestling town and no one knows who you are so i had no idea how uh, well-known Magic Man was in Japan until we were at Rob Schamberger's house, and there was a uh, we Rob Schamberger who I've had on this show before. He had a yeah. uh, he would have those post parties at his house, and he was incredibly uh, generous with those, considering all the freeloading wrestlers that would come over and eat all his pizza and drink all his beer. But he <laughs> would, he, but you gave him a picture at one of these, and it was a picture of you flying a kite with a key on it and you said it said something about the fact that you knew who ben franklin was is it what is that the story uh no really i don't think there's any words in the photograph it's just a photograph of me flying a kite in a storm and the lightning is striking the kite and i'm i'm looking at the camera grinning like uh you know like <laughs> i'm ben franklin you know it just it's the, the it doesn't have any words it just the photo lets you imagine what the hell is he up to sure sure you know so, it was it back, actually it was something i kind of messed around it was back in the days when you first got computer you know and it had like a, a, a basic like a paint program yeah. you know and i tried i just kind of superimposed a picture of me like i posed for a picture of me in that position and then i you know, I dot by dot made a, a string looking like it's coming out of my hand to a kite that I took a picture. You know what I mean? Like I pieced it together. So just for, for so Rob, just Rob thought so much of that photo that he put it on the wall in his bathroom. And so yeah, right, right above like if you go in there and you and if you're a man and you stand there to pee, it's right. That's the thing you're looking at is me flying a kite. So like, that's great. That's a good position for me. So I mean you're. Right above your toilet. Exactly, your big toilet. Toilet. Uh, you know, only only special things get put on the wall in your toilet, and you're one of these at Rob's house. To me, to me Rob Schomburg, that was the wonderful memory. To me, I, I need to thank him tremendously, too, because that's a place of honor, and I am truly honored to be above anyone's toilet <laughs> throughout the world. And, uh, it, I tell you, I got a great story about Rob Schomburg. As a matter of fact, the furry first after party i was invited to yeah what's Have that no uh, i've heard it told perhaps maybe on somebody else's podcast one time but it was one of those really lengthy ones he had to sit through a whole bunch of other crap first but anyway i remember when i first met him he invites me he says uh hey we're having a get together at this art studio uh would you like to come and i think it was like through message on social media mm -hmm. you know, so so I said, oh, that's great. Hey, I'll bring my bag of tricks. 
And he's just, he, he doesn't, I didn't realize he didn't know that I'm an actual magician. And when someone invites me to a party, especially like not, you know, like people pay me to go to their party. I don't have to like go to them. They have to send a car, you know, to pick me up, take me to their party. You know, like I'm a, I'm a guy that does magic and comedy and crazy shit at your party. Sure. Well, who didn't know this? Well, I just simply meant I'm going to bring a bag of tricks in that I will bring some fun entertainment for the group. You know, a deck of cards, you know, a rubber chicken, you know, whatever the hell it is. I can get him to laugh. But, you know, you know how the old pick a card, any card, it's a, you know, that simple shit or something. Sure. But he didn't know. So he says, well, as long as you don't bring a bag full of dicks. And I said, I said well, don't you don't you challenge me, SOB. I'll bring a bag of dicks and if I want to. And matter of fact, now I'm going to make sure I bring a bag of dicks. Well, Seems on his end, I heard this other story. He's thinking, I don't know this guy. And he's telling me he's he'll be there with his bag of tricks. I don't know if he's bringing hookers. I don't know if he's bringing drugs. What the hell? I don't know. I don't want this guy at my party now. I don't. So I show up, and it's simply a bag of tricks. But in the bag of tricks, I made sure that the top end of it that I'm going to pour out under the table is a bunch of foam rubber sponge dicks Sweet. I kiss for this one stupid trick I do. So he sees me and he goes, well, oh God, what did you bring? And I go, I brought you a bag of dicks. And I threw the dicks out there and everybody laughed their ass off. I tell you, well, you me, in wrestling, you, to be fair, to a party. To be fair, in wrestling, if you say you're bringing a bag of tricks, I mean, that could be like, and if I've never met you, and I, yeah, you know, that I, could well, be drugs, I anything. Yeah. I know, because see, here's how I heard about your place. The the wonderful and talented human wrecking ball, Pete Madden, who I have a long history in pro wrestling with, he calls me one day. He says, Magic, Magic, there's this guy. There's this guy in Kansas City, man. He's, he's doing a thing kind of like yours, man. We Oh, we got to go challenge him, dude. He's doing magic tricks. And he's even selling magic tricks, and he and he has a mustache, and he's talking about number one Brett Young. Yeah, yeah. I never heard of the guy. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> well, you're coming with me, you know. And so he brings me up there, and we meet this guy, and it was great. He, you know, Brett Young could do magic too. He's like me, but he, I don't know if he's known for going just mad. But see, I had a career in magic long before I got into wrestling. Yeah, you that's, know, like a, that's a cool story because. A lot of people don't, you know, like there. There's never been like a. There's been some guys that have tried to be a magician gimmick in wrestling, but very few have done that. Yeah, and and for some reason, you know, it, it wasn't all that successful. I never remember where there was a spellbinder, you know, and guys like that down in Memphis, whatever the guy's name was. Yeah, there was and, a, there was a who wasn't there one that there was like a. Fantastico or something. I forget his name. It was a Lawler yeah, yeah. thing. It was a Lawler. Later became, yeah, that might have been the same guy. Okay. And then, yeah, and he came in, he did a little, you know, and it's the too. It's the same thing I battled in pro wrestling. I didn't really want to be the guy who goes into the ring, gets in the ring, and does a magic show, per se. Yeah. You know, I've, I was watching television and seeing a guy like Harvey Whippleman. Okay, like the guy from Memphis. I kept going, well, wait, they got a manager that comes out and he and he stands in the corner, but he doesn't really do anything and he doesn't really get in the ring before or after the match. I'm like, well, if that guy's doing that, that that's kind of lame. And if, if he's on TV, he must be getting paid was what I was thinking. Sure. I didn't really understand how TV works. I didn't know that sometimes in, in pro wrestling, you might be on TV, but you might not necessarily be getting paid. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's your opportunity to be on TV or something. So. 
and I didn't know the whole Harvey Whippleman story of his background and where he had come from. And I was just getting new. To, I was getting the idea of, should I try this? Because what I'm thinking is when I watch pro wrestling on TV, it, it's to me, it's like I'm watching a magic show. You know what I mean? These yeah. two people can't possibly be that angry with each other over something that ridiculous. You know what I mean? So you start, going, okay, this is, this is bullshit. But they are kind of beating the shit out of each other. Or make it, like, making it look like they're beating this shit out. You know, something. Sure. I knew that there was something going on with it, but, you know, as a kind of a fan, Mark, or whatever, I didn't really, I wasn't sure. But, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, getting a start. You want me to talk about, like, where I come from and all well, of that? Well, yeah, let's talk about, well, before, one thing I wanted to go back to is my whole point of your of your picture in rob schamberger's bathroom was it was already there and we brought christopher daniels in and he ends up going into the bathroom to take a leak and he comes out holding the picture saying like you guys know who magic man is and we were like yeah (laughs) he's here pretty often you know or whatever and uh he was a huge fan of magic man and it was because christopher daniels a huge Japanese wrestling fan and you know that was a, not that I hadn't heard and and saw I looked it up Michinoku Pro and what you did in Japan but uh, I not that I didn't not believe you but when I saw Christopher Daniels reaction I was like oh this is this is legit Magic Man's a star in Japan yeah, here's the thing in, in, in Christopher Daniels would know what I'm talking about probably that like he when he if he says it he's gonna say wow the Magic Man is legendary but in Japan, they go, oh, legendary. You know, they use an R, dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've actually, yeah, people, you know, and they'll, I've even had them uh, you know, on social media, they'll type in English, legendary, you know, legendary, magical mind. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, I do want to cover your Japanese stuff. But, yes, how did you – so you're a, you're, a, you're a magician by trade. I'm assuming you learned yeah. this as a child and you're doing this through your adult years. And then you're like, I want to yeah. get involved in wrestling. So how did that happen? Well, kind of let, let me back up a little bit and tell you like how I got up into this whole thing about where my like entertainment thing came from. Okay. As a kid – uh, growing up, I was uh, I was born there in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I don't know if anybody's familiar with St. Louis. There used to be a Deaconess Hospital. It was right across the street from the St. Louis Zoo. Uh, my family, you know, my mom and dad, and my parents, they wanted me to be close, born close to the family. And you know, there's a reptile house over there and a primate house and a <laughs> small arachnid display over there, exhibit of some kind. Your brother. So, uh, and it's also across the street from the St. Louis Science Center. So my other world if you've ever seen the St. Louis Science Center it, it basically built like a portal so my other uh, distant relatives could visit the birthday too you know nice nice so, anyway my parent my dad worked for the government he'd been in the uh, army air corps or whatever and then when he got out of service you know, by then it was changing into the air force but anyway he went on and worked for the government as a civilian and then moving up through the ranks uh you know, they'd often send us to various different locations for a few months while he took some training so that he could do his job better. And, you know, they're moving him up the ranks, you yeah, know. Yeah. So we go live in Virginia for six months or something. And then we go live in California for, for you know, like, and we'd come back home for a, a year or something. And the next year, oh, we got to go to California for two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. And then the government's footing the bill for all that. So it's kind of like, you know, 
uh, you, you we're going to either live in base housing or they're going to give us a stipend to rent a house or do whatever the hell it is because my dad was moving up the ranks. Mm -hmm. So in doing that, that travel introduced me to a lot of different kinds of people, you know, and as the only child of for a long time, you know, I'm like the star of the show in my own damn family. And everywhere we go, like, oh, yeah, this is Bob and Sue and their son, Mike, you know, no, that's a... As the as people were coming over, they'd have like in those in those days in the 60s when I was growing up, uh, it was popular to have like uh, dinner parties or cocktail hours or where you invite guests over to your house and have cocktails and, you know, barbecue or do something or whatever, potluck it or whatever the heck you do. So we're meeting various different kinds of people from his office. And some of these people might be generals and colonels and you know, military people and other one might be civilian people, but you know, they're just in plain clothes, but they come over and I was a young kid growing up in there, you know, because I'm the only kid in the room, they're going, Oh, well, what are you doing? They are you, you know, do you know how to read? And you're like, well, yeah. And I, and I know how to do, can I borrow your lit cigarette and this handkerchief and let me show you, you know, and I'm doing magic tricks and they're going, they're going, my friend, Hey, your kid wants me to give him a, my lit cigarette, I can't do it. Oh, no, it's okay. Give it to him. He knows what he's doing. It's a cool trick. He'll like it. You know, <laughs> I'm doing magic. When the people started giving me money, nice. you know, they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Show me another one, you know. So I go in the kitchen and I'm tugging on my mom's apron going, you know, she's getting the next round of hors d'oeuvres ready or something. And I'm tugging on her apron going, mom, mom, you mean to tell me that people will pay me to fool them? She says, well, yeah, it's kind of a thing. I yeah, you could probably get paid. Yeah, them people in there will pay you. Yeah, you know, just keep doing it if you're having fun. You know, when they run out of money, they'll let you know. <laughs> so I'm just going in my room and setting up the next trick and coming. And well, I just started doing this everywhere. It's kind of like my way of socializing is doing magic tricks. So by the time I'm, uh, God, I don't know. I'm going to say I started into this late, and I kind of, after asking questions about pro wrestling for years, and in those days we didn't have the internet. We only had the sheets. Sure. I had to get cooled in about the, 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 the sheets. I didn't even know about that. So then you start reading about that. And I finally found out where to go down there. Uh, by working at Soulard Market, I had a couple of customers that they were members of the South Broadway Athletic Club. And I, they heard me asking around about if I'd like to get into the pro wrestling thing. And they told me that there's shows down there. Mm -hmm. So I ended up. They eventually finding out where the secret gym thing is after going to a couple of their shows and watching them. And I remember even taking my kids there, you know, just being my uh, you know, dad's day with his kids. I mean, it's my, obviously a historical place in St. Louis. Randy Orton came through there. I mean, it's a, it's had a long wrestling history. Right. And, you know, it's been around there doing it. But I, I, I kind of looked at it like, oh, okay, I didn't know that there's like, I didn't know what to call it. I was thinking I was probably calling it Little Leagues then or something. You know what I mean? Sure. I didn't realize it's called Independent League. You know what I mean? Like, this is where stars come from. And I started putting it together. Knowing, oh, okay, well, then this would be a place that maybe to get my foot wet and test this to see. Because around the whole St. Louis, Chicago, and Kansas City area, I was already kind of known as, you know, Magic Man. Because I, I would never really tell anybody my damn name. I don't really want people to know my name because it makes other connotations in with other stuff that I'm not a part of, you know, I was embarrassed by that other guy's performance. Okay. Well, you have to tell her your name is Michael Jackson, which I think is right. my, it, my legal name. Yeah. Is Michael. Jackson. It's a hilarious <laughs> coincidence that you happen to have that name. Yes. Right. And you know, it, I'm going to imagine that I, 
you know, like as a kid, he was born a little bit before me, but he wasn't really a star yet or anything, you know, but, but as soon as it became popular in like the Jackson five and all that, well, then other kids at school know that my name's the same. So, you know, you get a little bit of teasing and, and it didn't, it didn't really bother me when it just continued and continued as his career got bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, everybody, I get tired of walking into a room and having to listen to the same Michael Jackson jokes I just heard in the room I just left from. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just got overkilled. So I was like, look, I'm going to prefer to just people call me Jackson because I'm Jackson, you know? Yeah. Well, there for a while, I played around with like Jackson the Wizard and stuff like that. Went, I don't know. Because as a little kid, I did magic shows. I was getting paid as a little kid. I wasn't a member of Boy Scouts or. Girl Scouts or Pixies or Dixies or any of that other weird shit. But then people will always call and have me come to their little dinner thing and do a man. They'd pay me like 15 bucks or something. And I'd do a half hour magic act. And, and then they'd ask, well, aren't, aren't you a member of it? Well, no, I, I don't participate with other kids and no weird shit like that. I didn't play sports. I didn't do none of that. Sure. But uh, yeah. And then when the Michael Jackson guy, he had some movie called Ben where it was something about rats or something. Well, like kids at school thought they were going to be freaking me out by putting rubber rats and stuff in my locker. Oh man. I like shit like that. I was always into the Halloween. To me, I wanted every day to be Halloween. I was into spooky, scary shit. Yeah. I was into Cheney and all of these uh, makeup artists and that could change their appearance and all that. I thought that was fascinated with that. So, you know, with that, I used to go to the, uh, you know, I'd do my chores around the house. And them days you, you had to do chores. You had jobs you had to do to get an allowance, a thing that people used to have. This is an old time concept. I don't think people do it anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I'd save up my allowance and then I'd ask them like, once more, can you take me to the St. Louis Carnival Supply so I can look at the weird makeup and the mask and all of this stuff, you know. And uh, then that one day I go in there looking for, uh, I wanted I was asking my dad, how do they do that like on gun smoke and stuff where a guy punches a guy and it looks like blood's coming out of his mouth? They couldn't really punch that guy and get away with it. Like, oh, yeah, he's just biting on a blood capsule or something. Like, oh, where do I get those? So <laughs> at the carnival supply, they told me, oh, no, you, we don't have that. But a place like DeVoe's Magic Den, a place owned by a guy, Gene DeVoe, that was the guy who got me into magic huh. in St. Louis when I was just a kid. And, uh, I started going there, and I went, in. he didn't have uh, blood cap, but he had, like, gum that you could chew that would turn into blood. Yeah. You know, and all this kind of different stuff. And uh, that's I got into doing the magic. And, uh, you know, by the time I, I started watching wrestling and noticing that the, there might be a gimmick in that to, to be just the manager. Sure. And instead of, you know, just to be a, 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 a cheap-ass magician, because people kind of love making fun of magicians, too. Oh, that was the third thing I was going to tell you. Well, I was starting to get pretty good at this, like going around. I was doing opening up for like heavy metal bands and stuff in the air and a lot doing a lot of MC work where I'm going to just come out in between the bands when they're switching the gear around, you know? Yeah, yeah. Stage. And then I'd get liquor companies to uh, give me T-shirts and shit to give out. You know what I mean? Budweiser Company. When, you know, at them times, it was Anheuser-Busch. Mm -hmm. uh, hell, I was, I was the Captain Morgan for the whole state of Illinois for like two years, man, for uh, Diageo Spirits out of London. You know, they did <laughs> you would be a great Captain Morgan. Oh, man, I did all pirate tricks, too. You know, you do, you know, trick coins, you know, like the balloons and that, and uh, rope tricks, and, you know, any kind of piratey kind of 
stuff a pirate would have, you know what I mean? Of course, of course. And uh, oh yeah, they hired me, uh, Morganette girls, to carry around a big trunk of prizes for me, and I had to carry the trunk. You know, I just open the trunk and hand them shit out of it. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, they bought me a two thousand dollar costume and all that, and I'm looking at it. I don't need this stupid wig. I don't need this stupid fake mustache. I don't need, you know. <laughs> but anyway, you already had the hair. That's true. Some kind of jobs will kill you too, like you know, the constant drinking. You know? Oh yeah, you're in a, you're you're late nights and like I knew a lot of people that got involved in those kind of jobs and that was a that was a job that yeah a lot of temptations during those jobs because you're out till the you know the butt crack of morning so um, but yeah. how did so how did you end up meeting uh, Pete Madden and and getting into wrestling? Well, after talking to these two customers that I had and when I was selling like you know fruits and vegetables in a market that was in the general vicinity. Like it was kind of north of where there's uh, the South Broadway Athletic Club where the shows are. These two guys told me that they talked to some guy down there named Tony. And I'm assuming they're meaning Tony Costa. They just didn't tell me. I just said, Tony, there's a guy named Tony. And he says, okay, it's okay for you to come down to their secret gym, which it was just located down the street, kind of within the brewery complex down in there. Yeah. So I went there and. Those two gentlemen, too, also gave me a really cool top hat because they'd seen me doing magic tricks with, like, you know, grapes and strawberries and stuff at my state. You know, I would do sleight of hand magic for customers. This is how I was selling the produce. You know what I mean? Like, I was putting on a show sure. all, all day long with produce. I would sell out and leave before everybody else. And I think they, they just, you know, they kind of just sit there with a sign. You know, it's like it takes them forever to sell their shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they gave me a really cool top hat. That I wow this it was a it was like a hard plastic top hat that wow if I'm going to get into pro wrestling I probably need more of a helmet type of a top hat than a soft velvet one you know or a trick one or anything so I kept that with me and I, and I had my gimmicks I thought you know I know better than to walk in a place dressed up as a wrestler as the character and say hey look at me I'm gonna you know what I mean because I don't know they're wrestlers they might beat the living shit out of me just for walking in there uh, you know what I mean I don't know how this is going to go. So I knew to do the shit in the car and all that. So I just walked in the door and I, started, I just stood there and watched them. I seen guys in working out in the ring and all of that. Eventually, they kind of look around. Like, There's a stranger and they stop what they're doing and they're all kind of staring me down. So I said, hi, how you guys doing? I, uh, I had a couple of friends of mine told me that I'd come talk to a guy named Tony. I have an idea. You know. And uh, John Blackheart reached his hand out from the ring and shook my hand. You know, and he shook my hand like a handshake or like a regular person handshake because you know, i didn't know no secret handshakes or nothing like that yet of course and uh you know and i think i don't know if pete was there that night or not but you know like we we talked it over with the group that was there and i explained to him what i had as an idea and i said i have been to a couple of your shows and i noticed that you know you do have a really cool am and made uh you know, manager guy that comes out here, like the, the little weaselly heel manager guy, which is what I was wanting to try to do, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I thought, well, you know, uh, I thought this might be the way to get trained on because I, you know, I told, I told him, I, I think I'm watching a magic show and that's why I think the two things could work together. And they agreed with me that, Oh, okay. He gets it that what you're watching in wrestling. Yeah. It's a magic show basically. Yeah. So, uh, what I didn't like was after they trained me for a few weeks, showed me how to, you know, take bumps properly, how to uh, do stuff properly, try, you know, how to do cool looking stuff without hurting anybody, all this kind of stuff you've got to learn how to do. Uh, when I finally got booked down there, I was really ticked because 
without telling this other manager that they already had, I believe his name was Ricky James. They they had him come all the way into town. He didn't live in St. Louis. Like, and you go do that once a month. Sure, you got to drive all the way to this place. I didn't live anywhere near there either. They they well, they tell me they're going to use me, but I didn't think about the fact. But by using me, they're firing him. He lost his gig, and I and I told him, man, had I known they were going to do that, I would have said, screw this. You know, but it's like I got audience members out there. You know, like I told hey, this is my opening debut of this thing I'm trying. You know, I got my magic fan, you know, people that knew me from Mabby Metal, uh, comedy, magic, show bullshit, giveaway prize, you know, the whole going to nightclub thing. Mm-hmm. Those days was like a lot of heavy metal bands, and I knew all the bands. So I got as many of these kind of fans to come to the that so it's like i didn't want to walk out over it but i probably should have but you know i pissed off my fans because they bought tickets to see the stupid wrestling that they're really not into wrestling you know but they wanted to see me try it you know yeah but it went well i was over his shit right off the bat because it's some guy that's a magician it's a different jerk you know what i mean that place was trying to you know train to he hate the heelish manager guy of course. manager you hate that asshole so yeah but you know and i knew too that uh, that was a place to test out the idea and it had fairly good success but what how the, how it really got going how i knew how to test it right was i fell into a wonderful opportunity through a guy we know brian ledford who had this show called dr x's wrestling royale hmm. and he kind of started that show it was a cable network show, and he, he worked there for that. He was building his career in television, and he had worked for this you know place of Charter Communications mm-hmm. uh, over there in Illinois, and he uh, had on a dare his buddies, which I'm thinking is like Tom Casey, uh, Wayne Frazier. Uh, Tom Casey's now like the, the St. Louis Blues uh, official and, uh, announcer guy or something for the games and all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys were building their careers, and but they were wrestling fans, and they saw that indie wrestling, and they'd been to South Broadway, and they'd been to other places around in the area. So they they had an idea because they had a, an automatic feed that they weren't really using from Memphis, from USWA, Jerry Lawler's thing in Memphis. They thought, well, they could get a, a weekly feed of that and put a batch or two of that on there and get some of these indie shows and build a show just showing indie stuff, but they needed more footage. So a couple of guys that I know, uh, Frank Thurman and uh, Brady Lawrence, they volunteered that they were going to go go to these other wrestling federations. On about we're going to take road trips and bring me with them, so because I I can interview people and do like do a magic trick and interview one of their people to be to, trying to get footage to put together the show, you know, yeah. try to give it to him to see what he could do with it. Yeah. You know, there's no guarantee or anything, too. It's like, you know, we're, the be- we're trying to get the best stuff. And he put together a great thing. We would get stuff from up on the East Coast from the Boston Bad Boy, Tony Rumble. I don't know how he how that was ever arranged or anything. But in doing so, we met a lot of these people like Notorious Norm out of Pittsburgh with Steel City Wrestling. Well, when I first started going out on the road with them, we got some that where I met these people. And Notorious Norm was kind enough to say, hey, well, you know, I do a manager gimmick thing, but I get tired of doing it every time, too, because I'm also running the show. Imagine, man, I want to give you a chance. Go, go out there and see what you can do. Here, go with this guy and go make a match with there and you manage this guy. Oh, cool, you know. And, uh, yeah, I ends up, uh, hell, I'm working in matches with uh, Demolition Axe, you know, Bill Eady, mm-hmm. 
my superstar that was one of the first guys uh like a, an actual name guy where like we'll go build the match and i'm like, oh hello sir nice to meet you and all that and you know he's getting to know me and i explain to him what my gimmick is and he they show me who my you know the guy the guy i'm working with is and he'd worked with him before so he's kind of basically telling me what the match is going to be and it was like the first time where i actually got to you know he, he I did all the stuff you wanted me to do, and I and this is one of these ones where I got to get in the ring and jump up on his back and choke him out with the cane and all that, and he's going to throw me off and get the cane away from me and waffle me with it and toss me out and all that, you know, like physical interaction yeah. with a superstar. So that was a big thrilling moment for me, but that happened in uh, Steel City. And then word got around in this, so like, you know, Superfly Jimmy stood like, oh, well, well, my brother, the magic man, oh, magic man, you know. So he's always asking. He wants to hang out with me in the locker room and all that. And we want to do magic tricks and you know that's bullshit. So yeah, I worked with uh, named guys, and then we got up there with uh, Boston Bad Boy Tony Rumble. And uh, yeah, you know the kind of guys were kind too. They'd say, "Look, we don't want you to come up with when we're doing these ones. We just got one show this weekend. We want to wait till we got it lined up where we got like a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday matinee." You know, sure. and maybe Sunday evening, something that'll make it worth your while. You'll get plenty of footage because we're putting their guys over on TV, too. You know, we're using like their comp. Some of them guys were, they would send us stuff with already with their commentary on it. And then once it was coming, it was just we're filming it or something. Mm -hmm. Well, then his team, our, uh, you know, Brian Ledford's team there, him and his buddies, would they, they try to put together the uh, commentary. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which is something I want to tell you about Metro Pro. Thank you so much for the wonderful commentary that I'd loved how you guys would put over the fact that, you know, you put over the magic man stuff. It was so funny to listen into that because I'm out there doing it. So I have no idea what's going to be said when I watch this later after it's aired and I got to watch it on YouTube. I'm laughing going, that's great. <laughs> Making fun of how fat my belly, like my belly shows up at the ring 10 minutes before I do. And we're yeah. Well, that <laughs> wasn't me because uh, that was uh, basically what we did was that was complete old school commentary at Metro pro it was uh, my, uh, the play by play guys named Dave Borchert. And he was the, you know, was the, the protagonist. And I was the heel as the antagonist, uh, collar commentary that was always taking the, you know, the heel side, he's always taking the baby faces side. So yes, you, as you were always a heel there basically. So, uh, you would always get yeah. buried. Yeah. Well, I loved how, I love the banter between you two, the various little stuff you would say. And I was just going, I love this because, you know, like I'm something that, they're saying what you're supposed to say when some schmuck like that walks out, you know, like <laughs> the character I had in mind. Cause see, like I, I could do really good magic and all of that kind of stuff. That's what really freaks people out. They don't know that I can actually, I oh, could I've actually. Seen it. You're a great magician. Yes. But uh, you know, for the character that I'm portraying in pro wrestling, I looked at it like this people for the most part. Oh God, I'm a magician. I hate the, you know, stupid magic. You know what I mean? I wanted to be do cheesy, cheesy trick, you know, because first of all, it's hard to do good magic when you're in the center of a ring, completely surrounded by people. You know what I mean? Like there's magicians kind of need a backdrop or a, a front or forward facing side, you know, so the people you can't need to see control what's your environment. Yes. Right. So there's very limited kinds of magic tricks, you know, like good tricks that you can do under them circumstances. You can get away with a few things. But, uh, you know, yeah, I've been in big ass arenas where, geez, you know, with, with you know, that many, you know, 17,000 people or something in this arena, you're going, wow, you know, they're way up there to know. They can see down inside stuff. 
from up there. You know, like it's hard to show a box empty or of course, two or something. Of course. See from above and below because you're also up high in the rain too. There are people sitting up close. It's, and sometimes in Japan, they're sitting in the floor. They don't put chairs. They just sit cross-legged in the floor to watch you. So, well, let, that, let, you've been, you've been telling the story about how you're sort of building your career. So you get in, you get into St. Louis, you start getting involved with this show. Then you see, you, t- you know, bad boy, Tony rumble, you get some guys in Pittsburgh, you're building your career at this point. And then it comes yeah. to the late nineties. And I guess that's when I so introduced me to how you got involved with Michinoku pro and became a Japanese wrestling star. Now that's another one of those where all of this, traveling around trying to uh you know like learning how to kind of behave in pro wrestling too in that keep your mouth shut look learn and listen you know like i wasn't always being animated and coming at you with a trick or wanting to make you know i mean you got to calm that stuff thinking when you're around right and you just back professionally and look watch listen, learn and then when it gets your turn they ask what what do you want to do or who are you and what do you want what's up with you you explain to them what the gimmick is um, I will go up there. Uh, so I'm on one of these weekends where I think this Century of Wrestling Alliance, you know, New England Championship Wrestling, whatever it was, with Tony Rumble, they want us to come up for a like a two or three day thing. And uh, during the the, sh- the course of that, uh, I also didn't know that Kevin Sullivan was there, and I didn't know at the time. He's like this. He was scouting and specifically looking for a manager for WCW. And a lot of those guys that were working up there were kind of going down to WCW at the time. Knuckles Nelson and T. Ranchula, the guy I was working with, guys like that were going down there. But anyway, I go up on a weekend show, and it was the night after, like, they uh, ECW had brought in Michi Noku Pro Wrestling, which for fans that don't know, it's Michi Noku. It means Northeastern. Michi means North, and then no coup is Eastern. It just means the Northeastern territories of Japan. That's mainly where the head office is. And that's the mainly like they travel around the whole country of Japan, but they don't go in the South like seasonally or occasionally, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, now was it go? So they had done ECW that one pay-per-view they come in and they were doing like, I think it was the blue world order was doing their thing then. I forget which pay-per-view that was. Who who came over from uh, Michinoku Pro at that point? I, well, man, I, I'm going to say, it, well, I know on our show that Sunday, we were doing a Sunday matinee, and they wanted to perform. And Tony Rumble was like, well, you know, I don't really got a lot of money and pay. I'll try to, you know, do what I can. And they were like, well, no, we're not worried about the pay. You know, we're Michinoku Pro. We want a chance to show up our stuff in, in America. Most of the, you know, we're not flying out till Monday. Why waste a day? You know, you got a show. And he's like, well, hell yeah. So I'm going to say on that show, it would have been, oh, uh, boy, Grand Naniwa, Men's Tail, Dick Togo. Dick Togo, Grand assume, yeah. yeah, Dick Togo, man. Oh, yeah, that's my buddy right there. Dick Togo, Grand Hamada, the F- legendary, world famous. Uh, Funaki, I don't think, was on that. Too. I never met Funaki until we went to Japan. Okay. So I, so I went over there. I met him over there. Oh, I loved wrestling when he was a guy. It was a dream wrestling, man. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, well, next, let's see, it would have been ha- Hakushi, uh, Shinzaki Jinsei, the White Angel of Death, Hakushi. Yeah. The guy used to wrestle, brought the Hitman Hart, 
had his head in a jar Tattoos and all that shit. all over his body. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. That scary guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my buddy, too. Yeah, he's a, a big-time matches with him, man. Big series with him. And then the great Sasuke. Uh, the, the great old Sasuke is, you know, people say, you know, Jim Ross was saying, he said, the great Sasuke. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. How, that's how well, I learned that's it. Like, it was when I first saw it, it was the great Sasuke. Yes, because yeah, that's and, how it was said here. Yeah. You know, Jerry Lawler could chime in with, and that Takamichi no clue. <laughs> yeah, he had to. That Jerry's always great with the liners, man. He was. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like actually, Taka's name, it's not really a name. You know, we, we're using it as a name, but actually, Taka Michinoku ta, means Northeastern. See, Michinoku is his last name. It mean, Taka means like traveler. It means like guy traveling through the mountains of, of Michinoku, of, of like the Tohoku region, the northeastern region of Japan. I had no idea that wasn't his name, actually, until you told me this today. Yeah. Well, I mean, that where you're, he's using it as a name now. It's Taka, but like in their world, originally Taka just means a traveling guy. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you Victor Kionis. Oh, Big name. Yeah. You ever sit down with Victor Kionis? I, I didn't, but uh, you know, lots of rumors about that guy that his father was Gorilla Monsoon, possibly, and that's why he had such a good connection with WWE back in the day. But I have no idea that was never confirmed or denied. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like they offered me a cigar, but it stunk so bad I was like, no, nah, that's okay. I'm thinking I'll wait till I get home to America to smoke something stinky. <laughs> you know? You probably uh, turned down a fifty dollar cigar. Come on. Oh, I'm sure I, oh, yeah, I did. Well, definitely it was like some kind of Cuban cigar or something. It was some special cigar, but he was smoking it, and uh, Sasuke had one, and I think Bruce Pritchard was sitting there. I think he had one, too. He might have turned it down because I don't think he smokes. I told him, I said, oh, if you don't mind, I'm going to have a cigarette, sir. Okay, well, Sasuke got up and left. Like, whatever they were talking about, I don't even know how I got in that room, to tell you the truth. I kind of stumbled upon them. I think I was wandering around in their hotel because – them guys all stayed at a fancier hotel than, than me and the, uh, and the Mexican guys and all of that, too. Yeah. Because there's probably not no, enough room or even the budget for that. I mean, for the Undertaker's room, you can imagine, you know, he has to get a suite and they got to put two beds together. Sure. You know? Sure. And he's still hanging off of it. And I laugh and think, hey, you know, I got to sleep in these little beds all the time, man. And I think it's cool to have my feet hanging off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, they're on the show, and I'm freaked out because like I'm in the black room and I'm sitting next to this guy, Dave. Uh, God damn, what's his name? T. Rantula. He was a, a big, hairy guy, big, monstrous man. Uh, he was briefly in WCW. I think the the Mortal Order of the Barbarian tried to break his neck or something. You know, what I mean, like first time out, they they really roughed him up. And, wow. And, and then the company told somebody he wasn't aggressive enough. I'm like, man, that guy's a monster. I've been a a lot of shows where I was like, oh, please don't kill that guy, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with him. But I'm sitting in the locker room, and, you know, me, like, well, after we got, we know our opponent, we know what the match is, we know, we got our instructions. I've been working with this, you know, with the same kind of a crew or whatever for three days, and now there's the addition of these extras that came in from elsewhere for this big show in Chelsea, Massachusetts on a Sunday afternoon because, you know, they were able to announce that, hey, look, the Japanese show a crew of Michinoku Pro is going to be here performing too, you know. And uh, so it was a packed house, you know. And I'm sitting there, we're doing magic. I look at him, I said, Look at this. 
I'm, I'm in the most international, best international locker room I've been in yet. And that these guys over here, these chairs are speaking in like Portuguese or something. I can't understand a word they're saying. These guys over here are luchadors and they're speaking in Spanish and I get most of what they're talking about. Guys behind me are speaking in Jeff because I had Kayantai group. Well, it was Men's Tail and Grand Naniwa and Dick Togo and then was sitting behind me mm-hmm. and they're speaking Japanese in the crossroom. So I'm watching Caleb and Sullivan and as he talks to him, you know, I'm learning how is he bowing. And I want to learn to, when he speaks to him when you're done speaking and even when you walk up, you kind of do a little bow thing. Well, I was watching him like a hawk to learn how to do it. So I just made sure to kind of do that with him. And I started showing them a little bit of magic tricks, you know, a little sleight of hand. And oh, they really enjoyed that. And I, I scared the shit out of men's tail. I did. You know, I reached over T. Angela's beard, and I always have a bunch of plastic spiders hidden up underneath of his beard. I put them in there, and they stay in there for him, you know. And then I, I reach in there, and I throw them at the people in the audience and shit. So I reach over, and I pull one out, and I do sleight of hand with it, and I make it disappear. And unbeknownst to him, I put it on top of his head. You know what I mean? And he's got that blonde, bleach blonde hair. And he's a Japanese guy, you know, so I'm just, and the other two guys are looking at me, like, what the hell's that? And I step back and I go, I don't know. And when they all step back and they see him, they're like, oh, they start screaming. And he's can't brush that thing off his head fast enough because they're still scared that it's a real spider. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I don't know. To me, uh, in meeting them afterwards, certain members of the group were invited to go to dinner with the great Sasuke. And Tony Rumble and I'm going, hey man, this is like a big deal. I kind of think this is like you should go because he specifically asked for you. You don't give a rat's ass if you know any of these other people go. That's <laughs> awesome that you look at you working yourself in with your your tricks and your charisma. That's funny. I, this is how it yeah, works you, sometimes. Right, kind of think I got. I feel like I kind of got spoiled in life in general in that I was given these opportunities to learn about traveling and meeting people who are might be different they have different values different cultures different traditions than you do or something so you learn to be polite and and, and find uh common ground and get along with them you know and entertain them make them smile make them laugh over some silly little you know pocket trick of some kind or something and it just kind of gets over with people and uh yeah they took a liking to me and at the dinner Hell, I'm trying to find the cheapest thing on the menu because I don't know if I'm supposed to pay or somebody else is supposed to pay. And, you know, I'm a manager guy. I'm kind of doing this to be doing it to see how far can I take it. I don't really think there's ever going to be a paycheck in it until I get, like, signed with somebody or something. You know what I mean? I'm in the indies. Sure. Unbeknownst to me, you know, uh, after we did this whole gig and all that, and then uh, Kevin Sullivan called me, I think it was that Monday afternoon, and he was pissed off. And I thought he calls it. Once again, these call, people call. I got a great story to tell you later about how sushi would need it. But anyway, Kevin Sullivan called. He's saying he's upset. And he's telling me what happened is that he was wanting to recruit me to be the uh, manager for Mortis and Wrath. But when he got down there, Eric Bischoff had already hired a different guy, which ended up being uh, James Vandenberg. His name's... Uh, uh, well, you know what I'm talking about, sinister minister of guy. Of course, yes, he, yeah, great guy. I love it. But you know, he had experience in uh, so, uh, Smoky Mountain. Yes, you know, he did a really cool gimmick with this fez hat, and he could he was rattling off some really cool, spooky Egyptian chants or something when he had a mummy guy come out there. I love that. Ch- I would love to meet him and beg him, please do that for me. I want to hear somebody do that again. It, it used to be on YouTube, and you can't find it anymore. When you told me about this situation that that. 
Kevin Sullivan was trying to get you that job to be basically James Vanderberg's job that we all sort of know in that, you know, late 90s uh, time period in WCW with Wrath and Mortis. I mean, it makes complete sense. You remind, you know, you guys are pretty similar, you know, builds. I got the hair, I got the crazy facial hair too. I mean, uh, that, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world that you were up for that. The thing that when he came out that Monday night, I was watching it on TV, you know, they were doing a live thing and I, he came out and he, you know, and he was doing that thing, you know, like I would have done like rubbing your hands and he was calling him like his collection of oddities. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's probably that, that would have fit for what I do. I see how I would have fit in and that's cool. But it's, I was happy for him to do it because I also knew, Oh my God, do you really want to sign with WCW with that room full of egos and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Hey, I came from the school of you do what the booker guy wants to see or what the promoter tells This is what I want done. You don't go by nobody else's thing. You do what you're supposed to do. You give them the finish they want. You give it the, the storyline and whatever the hell it is they want out of it. You get the details of that from one guy that, then that locker room down there, I wouldn't, I would have hated being there. Not to say that I don't know Brian Clark and the other guy. I don't know who the other guy was, but I know that was Chris talked, Canyon. Oh, okay. See, and I didn't ever know where to meet him or nothing. Yeah, they might have been fine guys to work with. To me, to me, because you know, they're wrestlers trying to make their way in it too. But I was just thinking about the difficulties that that company was going through at the time with the stories you get about what goes on. You know, arguing over, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. But that paycheck would have been nice, Magic Man. That would have been nice. Oh, well, yeah, I definitely would have tried to take it for a few weeks. I just don't know how long it lasted. (laughs) Well, it's like, you see that Paul Heyman, all that, you saw he's killed me. While he's standing there telling me, you know, oh, you're going to be on our next pay-per-view. And oh, and I'm just grinning and laughing, thinking, I'm never going to see you again, you goofy people. I, yeah, it's I've funny that you could pick that up immediately, because when I worked with Paul, oh. that, that I got that same – I learned very quickly that what he says is not normally what happens. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I tell you what, I was impressed, though. You know, in doing those earlier gigs with Notorious Norm and, and going around and meeting different people – I had forgot about the fact, you know, I'd been on the car a few times with Shane Douglas and you naturally introduced myself and politely and said, hi, hi, you know, but you know, he's going to be at the top end of the card and I'm going to be, you know, I'm some manager guy that may or may not even really be doing much in the show. You don't bother people like that, sure. but you watch the match. But anyway, I'm in the room with them all. And after I spent in two or three days, this is when Chris Candido had met me over there and, uh, in Japan and then he wanted me to come to ECW. Uh, I'd been up there with him for like four days or something. And uh, I remember it was so odd because they walk in there and you know how Shane Douglas is kind of like a scholarly guy. He's holding court when he's talking, man. He's sure. talking about some shit. And all the, most of the main meat of the crew was in that little room and we're all getting ready to leave. And he stops talking and goes, oh yeah, and this guy here, you know, this magic man guy, yeah, man, he's good to go. I'm glad that he's part of the family too, and all. That. And he was like, "What? The hell? Wow, he just kind of put me over. I didn't really, I realized. Oh, yeah, he'd seen me around enough. You know, knew I knew that Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, and I'd been with Dudley guys, and you know what I mean. I'd been around. Sure. And he'd been in enough locker room that he was kind of acknowledging that. Yeah, I never talked to this guy, but I know this guy. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Yeah. And Francine's going, oh, yeah, by the way, when I see you next time, Magic Man, can you make these disappear? They're, they're hurting my back. And she's <laughs> squeezing her 
chest up to me. I'm like, uh, well, yeah. That's a, well, well, that's a magic trick. I think I, I'd help her with that. I'd, you yeah, know. I, think, I don't know what kind of magic these people want out of me, man. But I just kept thinking there. Yeah, I'm gonna be hey, your next person. I, I got to. I, I was around known. those. I was around those locker rooms in the late '90s in ECW. I went to the Queens Lodge in you know in uh, in Queens the uh, uh, the Elks Lodge in Queens, I should say, uh, and. Uh, I mean, they were they were crazy. I mean, there was rampant yeah. drug use. I mean, it was oh, not the cylinder of sin. No. I was in the cylinder of sin. I've never Missy been in that. I've seen that Sandman. place. Yes. The Sandman almost came the shit out of me for snoring too much in the hallway and stuff. Like Samu, I had to rescue me from him. <laughs> I oh, was almost a story. A, oh man, yeah. You because you didn't know Samu's a magician either, did you? I did not. Oh my God. I, he, this is how I found it. I'm in the parking lot showing these ladies this magic trick and, and the wind blow. I'm kind of drunk and stumbling around and the wind blows and I got these little rubber balls and the wind blows one of them away out of my hand on the parking lot. And who picks it up but this giant guy and it's Samu. And he makes the ball disappear and come out the girl's ear and he hands it back to me and says, what else you got? And I'm like, oh, what the hell? These guys got hands like big hams. He's got fingers like sausages, but he just did slide of hand magic. That was good. So me and him hit it off right off the bat. We're doing around doing card tricks and magic. We're going in everybody. We jump in the bed with, with Missy Hyatt going, pick a card, pick a card, bitch. <laughs> They're her hands off. <laughs> we're drunk and doing magic. It's I don't know. It's a giant guy and a little hairy guy doing magic. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> it was funny now. I never seen him again after he saved me from. I I almost drowned in a plate of biscuits and gravy that morning. <laughs> So, so how did you so did you meet the ECW guys basically off what you did in Japan and like how did your Japan run no, go? No, no, I knew some ECW guys like uh from working with Norm Connors. Okay. Uh notorious Norm. Uh he was uh, doing stuff where he was based out of Pittsburgh, so he'd do all around Pennsylvania, and that's kind of where this guy's turf is too, you know. So he was borrowing guys from there when they weren't working ECW, they'd come over. Sure. And you know, he had Raven over there. And he had, uh, you know, anybody. Well, I tell you who I used to have: Dangerous Devin Storm, uh, Chris Ford, who later became Crowbar. That's one of my good buddies. Oh, oh yeah, my God. yeah. No, he's a very talented guy. He's still doing stuff oh, today. And, and oh yeah, I want to hear. I, I want to hear your stories. Uh, I want to hear your Onita story because um, I don't know if did you get to see any of the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries that they put out? Uh, it was on Vice uh, Network. Uh, you know, I have access to that, and I didn't know. Is there one about Onita? There's on one about. There's one about. Uh, ju- yes, Onita, and just talking about sort of the rise and fall of of just the gory. You know, his 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 yeah, company, yeah, and just you know, like how he's still doing like the the you know the exploding ring matches and all that stuff. And so, yeah. what, what's your yeah. what is your story with Onita? Oh man, I got a lovely story about this. And here's how it goes: I'm over there. Yeah, uh, in Japan with Mitsunoga Pro, and once in a while, like you know, we're doing what they call like a series. I, I you know, like we we got a run where we got like a show every night for like I don't know, eighteen days, twenty days, something, like that. and then you might have like a week off or uh, a couple, two, three days in a row off or something like that. When usually these are days where you're trying to catch up on laundry, phone calls, you know. But sure. sometimes you got extended time off. Well. uh, you know, Sasuke, like they would ask, but you know, I, the way they, in Japanese culture is different. It's like, they would ask, Hey, 
well, we got this week off period. Hey, you want to do something? Like, you don't have to just be like bored. Like, you know, we know we they don't like to go sightseeing and doing stuff, but like they're like, hey, we got a show here today. Sassy wants you to be on. Oh, okay, sure. And I didn't really find out about it. now. This one they told me well enough in advance, and then uh, referee, famous rep- referee Ted Tanabe, explained to me that on this one day they're going to come get me, and but we got to go early. Uh, to the arena, we're going to do a show for FMW. And I went, oh, God, have to hang on a minute. I'm going FMW. Wait, hey, wait a minute, man. What are you putting me I I know about this kind of stuff. Hang on. Yeah. He said, no, 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 no. He's okay. Opening match is going to be question mark versus question. It's like a mystery match. This is to, just an added extra mystery match in the beginning. They're not going to know it's you. They're not going to know who the other guy is. But don't worry. It's just going to be a match. You're going to do your thing that you do here. Right, okay. So, we go in the day. The thing that got me, he comes early. He has me put on an orange jumpsuit and a, and a black hood that's got a question mark on it. And he put me in handcuffs. And I'm laughing, going, ha, ha, I'm a magician, you dumbass. You know, like, handcuffs don't mean nothing to me. So we played that up. Like, he had me on a team. And we'd go and, and we took, like, a weird route. Now, the other guy, the opponent's going to do that from, like, the other end of Tokyo. Like, this is a big show in Tokyo. It's called Liar, Liar. And at the time, there was some, some band out. And they had a song called Liar Liar that was playing on the radio. He's one of those pop Japanese pop bands or whatever. Okay. I kind of like the songs. I was kind of funny. Like, wow, I want a show called Liar Liar. And I'm I'm a magician, which to be a magician, you're lying. Like a real magician can actually do real magic. I'm a guy pretending to be a magician. And I'm also a pretend magician pretending to be a pro wrestler. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Wired up my alley. <laughs> so that's I, every bit of this I'm faking. Yeah. So we go and when we're doing the whole thing, we're around buses and trains and then taking this long route to kind of advertise for the show because people are asking Tanabe, hey, we see you and what the hell is this? What's going on? But you know they're asking in Japanese. And he's telling them about the show. And I'm sure did it work because we ended up with a whole bunch of like young, you know, teenagers and young people now following us getting on different trains. They're purposefully paying extra money to go on this long ass route through the city to get to the arena. And we get there and we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And and I get inside and I get out the thing and we were doing the whole, uh, I forgot to mention, we're doing that thing where like I'm escaping from the handcuffs, but now all of a sudden I'm hooked to the pole inside the, the bus and I can't leave. You know, and the bus is starting. I'm like, oh, 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 wait. And I have to escape again. And he's, Kanabi's running around trying to catch me. You know what I mean? We did, because we played well together on this shit. So, anyway, we get there. We've had our fun for an hour and a half or so. And I'm rusting. So, finally, I meet a few of the guys. Uh, you know, it's FMW guys. Yeah. And I've seen Kenny Mura and uh, some of these younger guys. I don't really remember some of their names. But I know I'm in this opening match, and it's getting close. And I'm to time. I can hear the fans are coming in, and the place is crowded, and everybody's busy. So I'm looking for the referee. I'm like, Tanabe, hey, wait, where's the opponent? I got to know what we're doing here. Finally, you know, they, they played us out. They went to the last minute. They put me in a little room, and there's a guy sitting there, and he's got the costume on. He's the he's the El Pandita, and he's a panda guy. And he talks to me the whole time with his panda head on, and he's speaking in Spanish. Now, well, I can kind of get what he's talking about a little bit, but I'm not getting Tadamba to try to do translation. And so I don't know. He wants to do this. Then what the hell kind of. So I noticed in their world, I don't know what they think a panda is. I, mean, I thought it was only a kangaroo that has a pouch. 
But this panda costume has a pouch and he's got it full of candy. It's like, oh, well, we're going to do that shit. When you go out, if you go out first and you start handing out the candy and making everybody happy, when I come out there, you offer me a piece of the candy. I'm going to unwrap the candy, put it in my mouth, and when I pull it out, it's going to be one of them damn long paper streamer things. You know, I'm trying to think of some entertainment magic y dumb shit to do before this guy's going to probably kick my ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. So, anyway. <clears throat> I would talk it over, but I thought it was odd that I'm like, I guess I'm still not going to get to know who the hell that is under that hood, but I don't give a shit. You know, we got to go. So I hear the music playing. I got all my props ready. I got my gimmicks. You know, I got, I'm going to do a couple of tricks and all this shit. <clears throat> I got a costume on. All of a sudden, man, I hear my music playing and all of a sudden, oh shit, the building's shaking. The lights are flickering. Chairs are shaking and the table's shaking. Oh, God damn, this is a perfect time. It's a damn earthquake. So I push some chairs out of the way. I get underneath the table, and I pull the chairs in tight, and I'm all in there huddled underneath this table. And it's shaking. And then the door opens, and it's one of them handler guys from FMW. And he's, Magic Man, Magic Man, come on, come on, come on. Magic Man, he sees me on the table. Why you hey, man, it's earthquake. Earthquake? There's no earthquake. There's fans. Fans are doing, like, what the hell? The fans were stopping when they played my music. Them fans started stomping and cheering and freaking out so hard they were shaking the damn. We're at Caracoan Hall, man. And I guess the deal is, I, I never thought about it before. The thing's probably old as hell. You know, it's ancient. It's Caracoan Hall. This yeah. famous place. So I go out to the ring, and it, it's so loud. And the people are cheering so much, and they're all standing up. I on the fly, I just go, I'm going to do like the Rowdy Roddy Piper thing where you kind of stumble around like you're kind of drunk, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, well, they, they kind of they want me to be a drunk anyway, because I was gonna do a whiskey bottle trick. Anyway, I do a whole act with the uh, disappearing whiskey. It's funnier now. Anyway, I come out and do that, and I'm just freaked out at how many people were cheering and all that. I get in the ring. He offers me the candy. We do the whole bit. It's going beautiful, and it's time to wrestle. You know, we do the announcement. They got to do the body check. We're gonna do the announcement thing, and boom, okay. Now we get in our match. We do our match, and I only gotta take like two or three bumps in this match. You know what I mean? It's gonna be I'm putting over this panda, okay? And he can do cool shit, so I'm gonna take all this down. I do it, and the first bump, I hit this button. I go, oh, you got it! Gets in this FMW, son of a bitch. The ring's made out of concrete. <laughs> You know, I never took a bump on no ring that was built. Like, it's some of a bitch that had no kind of, it made good noise, but oh, God, it was hard. So I was in there thinking, oh, God, I, I, I could take two more of those. <laughs> like, get up, we do it, and everything's fine. It makes it easy to sell the bumps sure. when it hurts, <laughs> you know. So the panda goes over, the crowd goes apeshit nuts. And I finally, you know, like he goes and lead, and they kind of let me roll out of the facility and kind of say goodbye to the, thank the crowd. You know, I'm I'm leaving second out of there to thank the crowd. Shit, it goes really well. I go back in the locker room and I'm dressed and I'm exhausted. I'm in there alone. All of a sudden, this curtain opens up, and it's a so it's a Susionita with a trash can full of like barbed wire and Singapore canes and a can of gasoline in the other hand. And I'm looking at him, and he goes, where are you from? Where are you? He's screaming at me. I'm going, holy shit, he's going to light me on fire and beat the shit out of me. What did I do wrong? You know, I don't know what that, I've never seen nothing like that. I don't know what to say. And I go, 
Uh, uh, St. Louis started, what are you coming back soon? You are coming here soon. You are going to be mine. I buy you from Sasuke. You're mine. You make my fans so happy. He's, <laughs> he was going nuts, dude. I was freaking out. <laughs> That's awesome. This is the normal way he talks to people. You know, I've seen other stuff. I've seen his interviews and, you know, like the, the you know, they do their interview shit after matches a lot. Uh-huh. They do the pre interview, you know. And now, uh, oh man, I see. <laughs> I thought that's just kind of like a thing he's going for. No, he just talks to people like that. And he's ex- he gets really excited in his bloodshot eyes, you know. And he's already all, you know, his match ain't even come on yet. He already looks like he's been in a fight somewhere, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in there and he tore that curtain open and he's screaming at me and getting in my face. And I'm just trembling like a leaf because I'm thinking he's going to hit me or something. I thought maybe I did something wrong. But, oh, no, no, no. It's so good that he's he's pissed off because I don't belong to him. After the show, I finally I go find this damn panda, and I'm gonna rip that head off. I don't know who's under that, and he takes it off and he's grinning. It was Flying Kid Ichihara, a guy I'd been hanging around with all week. He'd been come over to our company and he was working their guys, and I knew him. I hung around with him. I just never wrestled him. Until this night when he was a panda. And I'm like, oh, God damn it, I should have known by the height. You know, I just, I couldn't see him under there. I didn't know really who it was. It's interesting. Was- what I find interesting about you, Magic Man, is that you have a lot of very old school wrestling philosophy, but you also enjoy the just outlandish, uh, you know, wrestling a panda stuff, which doesn't, you know, like Cornetto Berry anything like wrestling a panda but he also loves sort of the old school respect things that you have and you're you're a you're a different mix there of what you like well you know i went over there not realizing that you know like the first series they were going to have me on is against a guy named yone genjin excuse me i don't know i just belched on a damn podcast (laughs) no it's not the worst thing that's happened on here Hey, trust me, it was coffee, folks. I'm not all liquored up today. I was translated it to like Rice Cave Warrior. He was like an ancient man. He's like a caveman. Yeah. And the fans would bring him bananas and beer. <laughs> so after every show, well, I never had to buy no bananas or beer because Yoni sits right next to me on the bus. And we would just party it the hell up. You know, we were drinking three cases of beer. Every night, you know, if you want. I mean, he, he would just put them in it. We couldn't possibly drink all the beers that guy because we drink somewhere every night. So we just always have free beer in the bus. But uh, you would yeah, probably, uh, you would probably fit in there too. You know, Grand Naniwa as a crab guy. You know, like they had crab character, fish character, super dolphin. They had Yakshiji, who's like an elf character. Yeah. Did wonderful matches with him. You know, and then like even like Dick Togo is like a pirate. God, that's a pirate name and a piratey thing. He had a piratey kind of a mask and a, and a logo. But, uh, yeah, all of them are different kind of weird creatures and animals and stuff like that. And, yeah, on a days off, Ted Tanabe, we would go and go see other people's shows, and they would kind of encourage that too because in Japan the promotions work together mm-hmm. to try to help promote each other, even if they're not all that good yet or something. You know, you kind of throw them both like – He'd have Ted Tanami and I would go see like a weird one, like Soul of Grass Wrestling Company or something. And it would be all characters that you would kind of know, like a vampire and a Frankenstein and a mummy and a witch and, a, you know, like common Halloween-y kind of thing, you know, like spooky. Uh-huh. And then there would be a couple of them. Well, it would be like a robot. 
and maybe some kind of sea creature, like a, uh, well, what's the creature of a black lagoon kind of a thing, or, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it would be a bunch of these, you know, it's an indie show, and you go and watch them. And they kind of acknowledge, oh, that you're there or something, and the fans see that. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, you're having fun and getting to watch somebody else's thing for something to do. And, you know, out with your friend, you know. That is not how it is in America. They don't like it if you go do that and sit in someone right. else's crowd. No. Right. Well, it's like being loaned out, like Sasuke, like basically, hey, the day after that FMW show, well, you know, now I've still got time off before our next series start, and um, when I'm still basically around Tokyo, and Ted Tanami told me somewhere to meet him or something on the street, and I met him on the street, and he goes, stand right there and don't move, and I'm going to go away for a minute, and I'll come back. And he, I'm like, well, okay, what's he doing? And he walks away, and he goes around the corner, and some guy in a suit walks up to me. I'm assuming a Yakuza guy, by the way, he approached me, and by the way, he looked. He hands me a thousand yen bill, you know, like a hundred dollar bill in their world, a thousand yen. Mm-hmm. He hands me a thousand yen. He goes, this is from FMW. You don't tell Sasuke. Okay. Thank you. You know, you gave me an extra hundred dollars, but I'm not supposed to tell Sasuke. That's I, I would do that, sir. Yes. I'm like, okay, sure. I'll do that. And, and then time to now come back. He's okay. You okay? I go, well, I guess so. Some guy just walked up and me a hundred dollars. and told me it was from FMW. He goes, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't know anything about that. He says, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like, I'm going to guess, I would assume that Sasuke, you know, is paying me. And then what they're doing is they're paying him what he pays me or something. And they're giving me a tip. I don't know. I just remember I signed more autographs that day than I've ever, because they even warned me, look, this place is packed and we only do a 20 minute, uh, intermission thing and they're definitely they're clamoring for your order you gonna need to sign fast to make a lot of money and i did nice they, they were impressed by that too i was signing in japanese and english as fast as you possibly can <laughs> well let me ask you this if you have you have that kind of notoriety in japan did you ever consider just living there full time oh yeah definitely would like to do that um basically you don't win the in the election in which there was hanging chads, when it was Al Gore 2000. versus Bush, yeah. Well, you know, Sasuke had sent me home, you know, like at the end of October, beginning of November, because he knows that that's voting time for us. That he sent me home so I can, you know, that was mainly my mission for going home is to go go vote where I'm registered at. Well, how sick! And my next series will come start after that. But when that hanging chat thing, when there was a like a no decision for too long, uh-huh. and then they, he, when he had me, he says, You need to go home because something's wrong in your country. <laughs> and they, they got rid of that's the last, I was like the last guy Gene they had. They, they didn't have no more American guys coming over no more because he felt like something might not happen because that wasn't, you know, you know. No, they weren't sure what happened. There. You know, in, in the last 20 years, though, of everything that's happened since the Hanging Chad, that seems like a very small blip on the radar, the Hanging Chad. It certainly does now compared to what we're going through now, you know, what people believe now about, you know. Yeah. That's funny. It really, uh, far, but, you know, all of that. Uh, yeah. 
Well, that, that was a, look, I think it's awesome that uh, I think it's cool. When I met you at Metro Pro, like I said, and you had you had your tricks there. You'd have your rubber chicken. You'd have you'd ride in on your motorcycle. You'd have you know you would wrestle uh, Pete Madden. You'd have you know it was uh, it was fun to have you there. You were an ancillary character that knew how to get over just by like you said, not really necessarily getting physically involved, just sort of entertaining and being some kind of a an annoyance on the outside, which we don't yeah, really that's have. Exactly. That's exactly how Mick Foley says, you know, what you basically are is a nuisance, a general annoyance and a nuisance. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. He's like, well, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> what you're looking for in a, in a manager. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's, so did you get to, did you ever get to work with him at all, Mick Foley? Um, I think the deal, I think it was uh, T. Rantula versus Mick Foley, and I did the commentary on it because I wasn't really there. Uh, his wife, the lovely and talented Black Widow, is normally his manager. Oh, okay. And the, at the time, these two had a what they call a pie shop in Pittsburgh. It's a pizza place, you know, like sure. a pizza pie. Shop. Yep, yep. And, uh, and uh, like on a week, like when they couldn't find somebody to handle it dur during the, the weekend when a show was going on, sometimes they'd say, well, I'll just use Magic Man as the manager guy. You know, I'm, I was kind of like her fill-in replacement. She's mainly his manager for, for the stuff that they were doing. But uh, so you got to yeah. do that and meet Mick Foley, and I'm, I'm sure Mick Foley and you yeah, talked a lot of Japanese. Mick Foley, uh, uh, Norm Connors told him all about me. He's oh man, there's this guy and he does funny magic and all this stuff. And uh, well, it's like uh, Mick Foley too. But he started coming and he, when he was coming to town, he would uh, ask if he could stay in my house. Sure. Well, yeah, I'd have him over there, and uh, him and Terry Funk come to stay at one time, and they're at my girlfriend's house. She lived right down the street from the airport, which is kind of convenient. Nice. So, yeah, the only uh, wrestler that ever they cast room for him, and and they go and I and I had I go hey let's let's like I'm gonna think wrap the the uh, pillows in barbed wire. I'm gonna throw some, throw some thumbtacks on the top of the on the bed, you know. Just make why feel, make these, these guys get it, you know? So I bring them in there. I open the door and I say, "Here's your bed. There's the extra bedroom." Here I tried to fix the beds the way you guys might like it. And Terry Funk looks at me. They're both looking at it. And he makes grinning. <laughs> Terry Funk looks at him and goes, you know, he forgot the broken glass. What a piece of shit. Why am I going to put broken glass in there? Yeah. You know, like, why I could unwrap off of them pillows and sweep the something. You know I mean? I wasn't really wanting to sleep in that shit. Of course not. That's all for broken glass. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I, look, I... I think it's uh, I think it's awesome. Like you, and obviously you could speak a lot of Japanese stuff with both those guys uh, and, and your experience yeah. there. But uh, I yeah. look, I I always had a great time with you, Magic Man. Um, I'm glad that we got to catch up. Uh, I do know that you have uh, I do know you have a pro wrestling tea shop, don't you? Uh, yes, I do at prowrestlingtees.com. Of course, you can always go and uh, help out the Magic Man if you're still a fan. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you could help me magically get rid of some of these T-shirts. Uh, actually, you know, they, they print them. They print them when you order them. But yeah, you can go to prowrestlingtees.com, and I guess backslash Magic Man. Just look for the Magic Man page in there. There's some few uh, Magic Man shirts in there if you might like that, or if you feel like making a donation to my foundation. You know, I am the the potentate and proprietor of Penis. That's people encouraging niceness in society. That's very good of you. Well, you know, I try to do what I can, and I try to promote niceness. And you know the way I look at it like this. You know, penis, it, it's not hard unless you make it that way. That's true. <laughs> so, so, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just figure that like if people want to make a donation to, to uh, people encouraging niceness in society, you can make a donation through PayPal at magicman 
667 at msn.com. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, I look, I, I, I encourage people to. No, thanks for having the show. It's a great, it's great to listen to all these other people come on as a guest and, and listen to their stories too. And uh, I had a wonderful time there in Kansas City. I, it's, it sucks that we're not doing that anymore because I really enjoyed coming over there and uh, entertaining those fans, no matter how much they hate me. I love to hate them right back. You oh, know, man. And we had some great times <laughs> at Metro Madden Pro. Control. I mean, I loved you and Pete Madden coming over together. Mischief was involved for a while. There were some, yeah. there were some fun, uh, fun angles we had. You know, Pete, like I said, uh, the, the best thing about doing Metro Pro was that I had like regular, you know, it's, I sort of, I loved ECW as a, as a younger guy too. So I, I loved having the, you know, the, the guys that just like wrestling, they like the in-ring product. They want it to be crisp and athletic. You had matches like that. But then I loved stuff like with you and Pete Madden, and it would always be like the comedy sort of let me right. down match, which would be between the two hard-hitting matches, which I Thank feel you. is always like a part of wrestling. And some people don't feel that way, but I always felt that was very important to have. It's the same way like when you guys got like Christopher Dan. I see him like with uh, Frank Gazarian and uh, uh, what's the other guy up? Uh, Scorpio Sky, and yep. you know, you see them on AEW, and some of these matches they're doing, they're doing it kind of in that Michinoku style too. Where like you want to have some hard hitting, high flying, you know, fast paced match stuff in there, and you want to have those other ones, but then you you dabble it here and there with a little comedy routine thing in there. Sure, you know, you're icing up the show. You're just giving a little bit of something for everybody. It don't have to be, you know, you shouldn't be every match with a goofy guy like the Magic Man in it or something. You know, <laughs> and then too, I've also been involved in angles where it's a more of a serious thing where. I'm not doing so much hokey magic, it's just sinister being there. You know, that kind of a thing. Sure, sure. No, yeah. but you'll yeah, always yeah. you'll always live in infamy with uh, the Christopher Daniels picture on top of the toilet around yeah. here. So uh, I didn't even get to tell you about drinking beer and trying to murder a guy with Mr. Pogo. <laughs> well, if you'd like to tell that story, you can. Oh, you want me to tell you that one? Sure. Well, one, one of these times when 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 we're uh, got a couple of days off or whatever, Tanabe comes to me and he's like had a big deal. He says, Oh, he says, office gets phone call. Sasuke says you must go. <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, tomorrow, day off. You know, we go see Mr. Fogo. Mr. Fogo specifically says you come to magic. <laughs> and he said, But it's good to be a good time. Oh, okay. Sure, I'd like to meet Mr. Pogo. I mean, why not? It's Mr. Pogo. I might recall, I think he's been to St. Louis before in his early career, you know, when he had to do wrestling. You know, he wasn't always gonna arm somebody <laughs> so we go there and we go to this arena it's a small place and it was really fun to meet some other uh performers and wrestlers from around the world i met some ladies from i want to say like argentina or chile or peru or something you know I, we could have had trouble i got my spanish didn't match up with their spanish but we were polite and we were able to get through a couple of magic tricks to make them laugh and have a good time you know and the other wrestlers on the card and I met some opponent guy. I don't know some some poor young guy from South America somewhere. But after sitting in the room with Mister Pogo, laughing and drinking beer and doing magic tricks for him, you know, he wanted to see the close up magic because he got there early. And he put he's got his makeup and his costume on. I think he just lives like that. He's kind of like a Mick Foley. He's Mister Pogo all the time. <laughs> you know, so I got him going and laughing, and we're having a good old time. And Tanabe's there, and we're laughing. So it gets about time for his match, and he says, okay, Magic Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's on this, and he gives me this blue-looking tights thing, and a, you know, like a, span, a singlet and a hood and all. He, he wants me to put this on. He wants me to be the winger guy. 
and bring this briefcase or this satchel full of his weapons out there and stand at the ringside handing weapons when he wants them. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do it. He says, just don't, don't do anything like the magic man would do. We don't want nobody to know. Well, yeah, I get it. Don't, don't, don't say nothing. Don't do a magic trigger. Don't just walk out there. So I did. I followed Mr. Pogo out of the ring, you know, and it's his opponent. And they're doing one of them, Mr. Pogo, man. He's beating the shit out of this poor guy. And then he's reaching out to me going, Sikor, Sikor. Okay, I guess he wants a sickle. And I'm looking, oh, here's a sickle with a chain on There you go. And he, <laughs> he starts carving the guy up. And then he's going, Ice pick, Ice pick. I'm like, Ice pick? What the hell is an ice? Oh, Ice pick. And I thought, Ice pick? Why am I getting to do an Ice pick? Oh, God. You know, and the poor kid, you know, uh, and the blood's going everywhere. But the crowd is screaming and enjoying that shit. And I just stood there while Mr. Pogo, you know, bled all over a guy. And the guy, it was a lot of blood. It was fun, I guess. And we were drunk, you know. So. I mean, look, that was that you're put in these positions with some of these big names, especially in Japan, where, like, I mean, I know Mr. Pogo. I mean, he was known as a deathmatch, like, superstar over there. In fact, I remember when he passed away what, a handful of years ago. Uh, I think he was getting surgery, and uh, I believe he died on the uh, on the. Yeah, he had some kind of blood clot, oh, I believe. But yeah, um, I didn't know. I didn't know how he went. I know he just passed not too long ago. But it was. Uh, I mean, it's 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 just so interesting. Uh, to, I had no idea when I brought you into Metro Wrestling that you had such the uh, lineage. Yeah, in Japan. you know, like like I say, you know, you're quite busy running the the actual day of event. Yeah, it's always a pain in the ass. Stuff. Those days are a pain well, in the and ass. I, that's why I used to get so ticked off with God, that Danimal, Dan Walsh. I love the guy to death, but Dan, he will 10-minute you to death trying to get a ride out. I look, dude, I'm waiting here at this rest area or at this gas station. You're supposed to pick me up in half an hour ago. Hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes. You know, two hours later, he's, I'll be there in 10 minutes. You, find, you get to the show, well, the matches are already started. I hate that. I mean, you know, I'm. that's even like when I got to Michinoku Pro, I realized right out the bat, the very first night, I, oh, my God, they beat the crap out of me. Holy shit. Second night, oh, my God. Grand Nanny Watt dives off the rope thing doing his goofy elbow job, and he actually cracked my rib. Like, he actually hit me with the damn elbow. <laughs> you know, I'm like, third day they're going, I'm looking at the thing on the wall, and it's going, Magic Man versus Hakushi. I'm like, okay, I've had an, oh, these people are trying to send me home in a body bag. Oh, no, no. That guy for three days has been staring me down like he wants to kill me. I, the guy hadn't spoken a word to him. I was scared to death of that guy. No, I'm not fighting that guy. So I go out there in the arena, and there's Sasuke. He's working out. He's got, his, he's got a towel over his head, and his mask is on the floor, and he's lifting weights. And I already know the deal. If you see his mask, like if he ain't got his mask on, don't look at him. Then you can talk to him, but don't look at him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I go out there and say, Sasuke, Sasuke, please, I think I made a big mistake here. I tried telling Koji, I'm only a manager. That sign in there says, I got to fight Hakushi. Listen, man, I, I don't know that I can do this. I've, and he whips that towel off of his head, too. And that's the first time I really like seeing his face. Uh-huh. And I'm scared shitless because, dude, he don't look like all the way human to me. And he said, you sign contracts, say wrestler. You will wrestle. And here comes Hakushi's running from behind. I see him coming down the gym from the other side of the gym. And he's running over there. And he's laughing. He's laughing. Now. And he grabs his magic man. Please, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to harm you. It's okay. You win. You made it. 
I win bet. I say you go home two days ago. But today you ask, please, no more. So I win. It's okay. I'm not going to. I'm like, what the hell? You've been walking me for two or three days. You know, he's been trying to scare me for two or three. You know, he's been trying to make me think, oh, that guy's going to hurt me. You know? So oh, that's great. What a rib. That's yeah. a great rib. Oh, my God. That first match with him was so beautiful, dude. We planned it out. We do the thing. And here's the thing. You know, he's going to body slam me over here. by, And he's going to do that run in like a swan. I don't know what you, how you call it. He runs up to the corner and bounces out of the corner and plops down on you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he, yeah. he gets good air on that, you know, and I see him coming. Say, oh God, that's good. And man, he was just, it was perfect. Like the wind left between our bodies, you know, and then he pressed down on, me. you know, like he knew how to catch himself without actually killing me or harming me. Sure, sure. And it looked so good, you know, and, it, and it, one, two, three, and it's over. And from then on, it was a, he gave a big speech in the bus. And this is when I first started. You know, you, you're over there a few times. The first time you go, you can't understand what in the hell they're saying. I don't know any Japanese or anything. Sure. I tried learning the basics for a few weeks, with, you know, with tapes and, you know, cassette tapes and books and stuff to try to learn, like, you know, where's the bathroom and how do I get another Jack Daniels? You know, that kind <laughs> of a thing. <laughs> the important stuff. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, yeah, he's on the body's tongue. I started like, hey, hey, Chotomate Kurasai. I say, and everybody looked at him. Oh, shit, he knows how to say just a minute. Hang on a minute. He's talking about me. And he's, so Sergio Torres, that super boy guy, he, he is a, a luchador guy. He says, hey, here's what he's saying. He was saying that that you're a liar, but it's okay. That when you came here, you told everybody that you're green. To take that, you know, you're green yet, and we got to work with you because you're green. But Magic Man is a liar. But it's a, it's a good kind of lie because he's not green. He's no color <laughs> before green. <laughs> That's what he was telling him. <laughs> and I'm going, hey, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, no color before green. <laughs> That's hilarious. But, like, from that on, they all quit beating me up too hard. You know, like, they took care of me. And unless I was fighting Willie Wilkins. I remember when they suck it down, when I'm going on a big tour, when Sasuke called me, I told him, hey, I, no more Beef Wellington, man. I That guy, is he's a stiff-ass shoot fighter, and he has no business in the ring doing what, you know. As I, Sasuke's laughing, he says, ha, ah, Magic man, that's funny. Everybody say no more Willie Wilkins, please, no more Willie. Okay, okay, no Willie Wilkins. I put you every other match, but no Willie Wilkins. You know? Well, that's the time when you know I get there and I find out in this tour, shit, I end up fighting like Hayabusa. Uh, I had an opportunity to wrestle goddamn Jushin Thunder Liger, and he scared the shit out of me too. We get in this arena and I'm walking in with Hakushi and we're bringing our bags and stuff in. And there's a guy, long haired guy, running around the gym. And he's doing laps, you know, and he comes running by and he looks, he stops and he's running in place. He looks straight at me and he goes that thing where you run your thumb across your throat, like you kind of slit your throat. Sure, you know? sure. And he looks at me and he goes, tonight, maybe you die. And I go, what the hell? I look at him, who the hell's that? He goes, Jushin <laughs> Sandalaga. <laughs> oh, no. That don't, no, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and then we all had a big laugh. And I ended up working out and training with Jushin Thunder Liger all day before the matches. How awesome. You know, and I told him, hang on a second. I'll be right with you. I got, because you know what I started learning to do? Like being a guy that doesn't really have any wrestling skills and all this, I'm just kind of an entertainer guy. 
I didn't want to be like these other superstar assholes that they bring in from other people. They just sit in the locker room. Man, I'd go put on. Well, I brought hoods and masks and stuff. I knew to do this the first time. Put on a hood or a mask so you go help them with the ring crew. Goes like the, the junior portion of the company. It's kind of works kind of like military rank over there. You know, the young boys, the dojo boys, and the guys coming up in the business. Mm-hmm. You know, and some of the guys on they're just regular guys on the card. You help set up the ring. You set up the arena. You know, you get. Me and the bus driver would put the blue tarps down on the floor because they all sit in the floor instead of chairs, you know. And you're helping with the ring thing. You're, you know, you're unloading that ring truck and putting it together. And I get it. Yeah. Well, I figured I'm helping out the company. They're paying me big ass money. I'm paying for, you know, hotel, all ground transportation, and one meal a day. I mean, how you could go over there, broke a shit, and, to be, and just do your thing. Just do the basics and you're going to be fine, you know. Like you'll live for another day or whatever. That's awesome. I mean, I can. You're the accidental Japanese wrestling superstar. I swear. It's it. What a great, yeah, yeah, what a great story. You know, like I say, I think it's because you know, and it does piss off other wrestlers. I've seen people like they're on the East Coast there with uh, with uh, Boston Bad Boy Twenty Rumbles organization. There were wrestlers up there that were highly pissed when I got selected to go for Michinoku Pro and became a star in Japan. Just because jealousy, like, sure. Well, and they're mad too because they spent their whole career w- working on learning all of that in the ring, the actual wrestling technique. And I admire the shit out of that. I just don't, I don't think I'm going to be, I've never given it my all. I've never given it any chance. I don't have a ring to go to. I don't really, working out in the gym, I doesn't make, doesn't uh, appeal to, I even took Mick Foley to the gym one time and he's going, why aren't you going to work out? I go, why would I do that? I have wrestlers that do that for me. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You know? <laughs> well, that's interesting. Mick would ask you that question too, but yeah. 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 But you know, like in days, back in 97, when I was first, the first time booked to go over there in Japan, you know, and I went all the way through like late 99, I think it was early 2000 or something when I came back or whatever. But anyway, whatever the deal is, uh, I was at my day job, my regular shoot job in a day, I worked in a scrap yard. That's why I always thought that was funny. A scrap at a, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce probably doesn't work in a scrap yard, but I do. So like, yeah, I don't think he did. No, I don't think he did. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I always thought that was funny. But yeah, I did that, and then I worked in produce, too, on the weekends. Like, it's a lot of, you know, pitching watermelons and filling up big, you know, big boxes full of produce and stuff that you're hauling and toting around all the time sure. to get them place to place. So I was in physically good condition. Like, I didn't really need it. I was in good shape back in 97, 98, yeah. But I understand. Uh, yeah, well, whole privilege of going around it it uh, it upsets some people. But it, like again, it, it's it's about sometimes it's about your personality. They look a guy over and go, "Well, yeah, he might be a great wrestler and all that." But look how he behaves. Do we really want to have to house and feed and put up with a guy for two or three months at a time in a tour bus with us and going from you know we got to drag this guy around with us? And there were guys like that who they came over, they brought him in from other places. It was. Uh, I don't need to name their names, but they brought them in and then they acted kind of arrogant. They never helped with the ring. They never helped with nothing. And, and, uh, their personality was such shit that they just, they didn't want him around no more. He could put on a decent match, but that just quite, that don't really quite cut it. We got to live with you. You know what I mean? Yes. You had the, you had the look, you had a unique look, you have some unique skills and you understood your place. And these are all things that when I found I was in wrestling, that that's what gets you further. It does. So willingness to do new things, willingness to listen and do stuff. And that's, that's why you became what you became, man. And uh, I appreciate you coming on today. 
Thank you. I, you know, I had such a good time with you coming uh, into Metro Pro, and I'm glad to catch up with you today. And I hope uh, everyone out there gets a little bit of a more understanding of the background of Magic Man. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I think it's a great show. It's a fun thing to do. And uh, thank you, folks, for listening to my long-winded, <laughs> crazy stories. I, you know, I've been kind of known for that too. But having a lot of stories because I was had the great opportunity to travel and meet all of these various people in different places and uh thank you so much for vastly helping my career and it that the american people the you know north american u.s people got to see me through metro pro because i never really was on much other tv stuff around here so. yeah and that lives on in infamy check out metro pro wrestling on youtube check look up magic man and you'll definitely see That's things right. that he was involved in because it especially was that mustache mafia, I want a chance at those guys again. Me and the Pete Madden, the human wrecking ball, we're taking on the mustache mafia, that number two Brett Pooh, which you call him number one Brett Young, I call him number two Brett Pooh, and that other insidious character. Who was that guy? That, that, oh, that guy, he became somebody, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube, you'll recognize somebody on there yeah. who went on to become something else. I do I slightly remember that. Ryan Drago. He became something. I love those guys so much. They took such good care of me. I love those guys so much. They're great working with your whole crew, your staff, everybody got to meet up there. Uh, just a wonderful time. And all the fans, man, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Magic Man, for joining me, and I hope to talk with you soon, man. Okay, cool, and I'll see you soon. It's the worst territory. All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world, Chris. What a magical interview that was with the magic man. Dude, uh, <laughs> his story is just about Sasuke, Onida, Mr. Pogo, uh, you know, working in just independent. It's, it's, this is what's so fascinating to me about wrestling, and it's, it's fascinating, you know, this happens in other facets too, like we talked about earlier. Musicians can have no success in America, but have a number, you know, like David Hasselhoff, let's say, you know, he's just a well-known one, but he's huge in Germany, right? I mean, they love his music there. And, but here they know not anyone in America could name a song he sang. Right. And uh, that's how wrestling can be, especially when you're talking about Japan, you know, and it's, it's just interesting. Here is magic man who had no idea who he was wrestles at Turner rec center in 2011 but little did I know that a decade before that, he's on these cards uh, that, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Christopher Daniels and others have watched and, like, know him very well. And he's a big – he's a star over there. I'm I'm actually surprised Magic Man has not gone over to live in Japan full-time because, you know, that would be hard not to, to resist going back to the place that you were a star in as opposed to uh, living here, but – uh, I think he has family here, and, and I don't know if he really wants to do that full-time. But uh, fascinating story. He's a fascinating guy, and as you can tell, he's um, he's entertaining. And that's what this podcast actually has evolved into. We talked about it last week. Is At first, it was like, all right, we'll hit the major players. We'll do NWL stuff. But now getting these guys that have you know wrestled for you or wrestled in the mid-Central uh, States territory, even if for a cup of coffee – it's just fun to talk about wrestling and where they've been, you know, and sharing their stories and stuff. So that, you know, I, I look forward to more interviews like that of people who, you know, have come through the territory, have stopped by, but also have, you know, um, you know, made a mark somewhere else or a bigger mark somewhere else. So um, Chris, 
I got to tell you today, this week on our, uh, well, before we get to the final segment, actually, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, give us a five-star rating. Also go follow us on our Facebook page and our YouTube page. Give us a like and subscribe on there. And again, if we hit that 1500 mark, Chris, on YouTube, or excuse me, on uh, Facebook, we are going to make our first shirt. Um, right now, we do have a question up on our Facebook page, which is of all the NWL roster, who would you like to uh, hear us interview in an upcoming episode? Now, of course, we have the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more looking for the uh, maybe atypical interview. You know, we know we're going to interview Dak. We know we're going to interview some of the bigger stars. But who is a, who's a, a, a figure or a face in the NWL that maybe you you don't know or want to hear more from. So go ahead and uh, comment on our Facebook page right now. So Chris, we're going to wrap this program up, but before we do, I usually give you a menu of options that you can pick from um, in the world of professional wrestling. But today I am giving you just one simple option and that is Mount Rushmore. Okay, let's go. All right. So this got brought up between me and my brother. We always talk about pro wrestling um, so the Mount Rushmore is, and this is gonna be a good one, your Mount Rushmore of theme songs. Oh, theme songs. Um good God, there are so many great ones. You know, there's so many good ones with lyrics, there's so many good ones without lyrics. Um oh man, uh like the ones that come like Ultra Warrior, uh that's up there. Yeah, um, absolutely, I mean, it's, absolutely it's like it's so synonymous with him, and uh, you knew exactly when that hit. I, you know, gosh, there's so many. You know, so you go back to the '80s. If you go to the '80s, the best was like Hulk Hogan, of course, growing of up. Of course, you had Real American, uh, Ultimate Warrior, even uh, Pomp and Circumstance with with, uh, with with Macho Man, and uh, gosh, and those those are the three biggest of mine. But gosh, I love so many back then. I'm trying to think of some atypical ones you might. Now, I'm looking at a million dollar man. Uh, that oh, that was, that's a good one that we didn't bring up. Yeah. That's and a good I love uh, Mr. Perfect's just, uh, you know, his oh. instrumental, um, you know, exactly what that was too. There were so many good ones, you know, and Jim Johnson gets a lot of credit. He deserved it. Jerry, uh, uh, Jimmy Hart, he had a, a lot to do with these. I know WCW, but a lot of the early uh, WWF ones. Did you have any of those early albums either on CD? Oh yeah. I, I have album. actually, I have, the one with girls in cars, pile driver. I have all that. I have a collectible vinyl that I got like five years ago that's cool. yeah, of, of all those songs. So yeah, that's, that's uh. so was there any W so when we were talking about it, we picked out Jake as one of the most iconic theme songs, obviously the undertaker. When you hear that gong, it was just like, Oh man, things are about oh, to change. Austin's glass breaking. Right. It's but the one thing I couldn't think about outside of Iron Man with the Road Warriors was there an and the Midnight Express was there any other iconic WCW themes? Uh, well, people would joke about like how corny a lot of them they were like super corny, you know. Like, I, I think Jimmy Hart's awesome, but I think a lot of his music in WCW was pretty corny. Um, was he the one that did like that that album that was terrible, like Mr. Bang Bang? For Cactus I, I'm Jack. I'm not sure what he did. I just know okay. he had a lot of creative uh, control and a lot of the just, you know, mid-card guys. You know, DDP, the Self High Five. Like, see, in the 90s, when I was at WWF, a lot of the music, and we all we were all working on these musics together and deciding what they should say. Every theme song started with, like, 
if you smell what the rock is cooking, and then it, it would say their their the it would be their catchphrase, the catchphrase. right into the music, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, they started doing it. I remember Bob Holly had one like that. Uh, you know, like so many people have yeah. like, catchphrase music. Um, you know, Austin is the glass breaking. You know exactly what's happening. There's no words to that. Like some of those, you know, uh, Vader. You, uh, he had like so many Jim Johnson did had just like the one riff. You know, just that repetitive riff that, and it didn't matter because that's all like Stone Cold was too, and everyone just went crazy when that happened. I would have to say Real American, Stone Cold, um, three two, and then. What was I saying earlier? Real American Stone Cold, uh, earlier ones would be, you know, Macho Man's got to be up there. I mean, it's so synonymous with him. And uh, my fourth would probably be Undertaker. I guess that'd yeah. be my four, but there's so many good, like, mid-card ones that obviously won't overtake, like, the biggest wrestlers in the world. Uh, but, you know, even, even like, uh, The Rock was great, but I wouldn't probably put it above before I said. Um, I'm, I'm really going to say, for me, Undertaker... Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and then I I loved the American Dreams theme song. Just when it came to yeah, American Dreams. Dude, when I was a kid, I was so I was like, here he comes, Dusty's coming. Or cowbell, yeah, (laughs) yeah, he's just a common man. Oh yeah, oh dude. Sorry, I, I can't even yeah, believe yeah. I forgot this. My favorite theme song of all time, which I'd have to, but he's, they're not superstars, but Jive Soul Bro oh, is dude. like number one with a bullet. One, okay. <laughs> Couldn't do that anymore. I don't think Jive Soul Bro would be kosher in 2023, but um, I mean, Slick and Akeem dancing to that is, uh, I mean, classic. And yeah, you know, what really sucked about american wrestling theme songs is when they started partnering up with the theme song for pay-per-views and then it'd be limp biscuit or it'd be it'd be all these up-and-coming yeah. bands that were trying to pawn their crap off and they probably pay wwe money which i don't blame them for taking money to play their theme song for edge right. or randy right. orton or whatever but i just like i don't like uh i don't like pop music being used you know not pop but like popular music yeah popular yeah metal yeah. metal or rock i right. don't like that uh, because I like it to be more unique and a little bit cheesier than your average like song you hear on you know your average rock station. So that I didn't like that as much. So sidebar question, real quick: best NWL theme? Because uh, by the way, we did all original themes for our guys. Best NWL theme? Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. Uh, there was a lot of funny ones. Um, Coco Rumble was pretty good. Coco Rumble uh, was great. Uh, there, but he wasn't around long enough for that to really sink in forever. Um, I, I remember Marty Bell so well because it was somebody else's before hers, and then yeah. we sort of made fun of that forever. I'm a star, uh, and I know it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your? What was your? What's your number one? Dak. Dak. He still uses it. I think it's fantastic. Wyatt's was really good because it was like this royal theatrical, like he's the monarch, you know? So those those were my top two. I can't... Um, Theme was- songs in NWL were interesting because we we were working with these sort of independent artists in the yeah. Kansas City area that, that Major were friends with. And we would give them 
very little. You know, we're like, oh, this guy is going to be a, yeah. he's a, he's a big dude from Atlanta and he, you know, his name is Cornell Douglas and he's going to be sort of a pimp, but blah, blah, blah. And then they would come and then to hear, so I loved giving them very little information and then to send back like, well, here's a, here's a take <laughs> on that. And it was just so funny to hear someone's creative interpretation of like something you barely gave any information because we were starting off and we didn't really know where these things were going to, you know, move to anyway. So um they would that was always fun when we got new theme music sent to us yeah i i i thought that was one of the most interesting because like you said you know having these interest themes created for these specific wrestlers is what again another thing that made nwl so unique well chris thank you so much for playing mount rushmore with us today um, we got a, gr- a lot of great interviews coming up. Um, I have a new segment in mind that we're going to do. De- I think we're going to debut next time we record. I'm not going to okay. tell you about it. Cause I, I always like to get your reactions firsthand, but I, I've, I've been thinking about this segment and I'm, I'm definitely going to do it next time. Um, again, don't forget to go give us a five-star rating on any po- uh, podcasting platform that you're listening to us now on, uh, just, you know, leave a comment, five-star review and tell us what you like about the podcast. Heck, tell us what you don't like um yeah, thank you very much for the feedback it's fun yeah, doing the Facebook awesome. group. we're over 600 people now uh we ended up you know you guys are giving feedback on shows you know just random stuff that we're putting up about central states i like your comments on that because we all have memories of of these guys when we were growing up as children i like i always say wrestling started when you were a kid you you enjoy it through the rest of your life from the based on the nostalgia of being a child so it is always fun to see different age groups sort of relate to a Lord Littlebrook, you know, where he was a star way back when, but he, you know, most of the guys my age didn't even know who Lord Littlebrook was until he's in the six man with King Kong Bundy and uh, Hillbilly Jim at WrestleMania three. So, um, you know, there's just so many cool things that we can talk about. And yes, uh, I I figured this would expand the show. It's not just going to be guys that wrestled in central States or guys wrestled in Metro pro or NWL. It's going to be anyone that came through here. I mean, Gerald Briscoe, as you saw, like we wouldn't have known that he had his first match in Missouri. We, he had, you know, he worked with everyone in Missouri. He came through here. Anyone in the territory area er, era would know uh, Kansas City and have thoughts about it. So there, there's plenty of people to talk to. But I did have another request for Akio Sato, and I still, I still think that'd be an awesome get because yeah. I don't think Akio Sato has done much as far as interviews for many, many years. So hopefully that can happen one day. Yeah. Oh, that interview, by the way, with Gerald Briscoe was so much fun. You can tell he's such a good guy. And you guys had a lot of a lot of chemistry. Like you can tell you guys are familiar with each other, you know, and I I think that was that added a lot to the interview. I told you my story, right? I told you. Did I ever tell you the story where he him and Bruce attacked me when I got him Whataburger? No, I didn't. didn't, Well, I didn't tell that story on there because there's stuff there's stuff I have to leave out. But uh, anyway, (laughs) they would rib me. that I'll take out all the bad stuff, but the, the right. rib was they they had me go get them food at Whataburger when we were in like Texas or wherever. And I came back up and I brought it to their room and I didn't know where they were. And Bruce walked out of the bathroom like, hey, big country. And uh, Gerald Briscoe like jumped from behind this door and like gave me the put me in the chicken wing. And like uh, then they proceeded to sort of, you know, torture me for a while. It was all out of fun. I mean, this sounds really bad, but it, that, that's how <laughs> internships and jobs used to be. You can't do that anymore, but I'm better for it. And I'm such a great, straight, upstanding individual because of it. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, Gerald Briscoe is a did, freaking awesome guy. He is. Did he did he legit legit put you in the chicken wing? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't like cinching in, but yeah, I mean, he, he had me where I was like, 
Mr. Briscoe, please. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. You know, you're just begging uncle. I mean, what are you going to do? It's Gerald freaking Briscoe. I, I mean, I, you probably beat everybody's ass now. And I've never heard this story before, but I'm going to guess that Bruce jumping out of the bathroom, there's a little bit more to that. Oh, yeah. There's a lot more to yeah, the whole okay. story. But, awesome. But uh, maybe the point we'll was, do that. I was put in a chicken wing by a <laughs> former amateur wrestler that can still beat the crap out of everybody. So, Do you think Bruce would ever come on here? Hell no. Yeah, yeah, I kind of figured. We should try to get Jim Cornette on. Anyways, that's the, that, that that's all I'll say on that. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the worst territory in the world. For Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next week. See ya. It's the worst territory in the world.